You're listening to Legends Cast, a podcast about the cards, the meta, and the community of the Legends of Runeterra. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. To become a supporter of the show, visit patreon.com slash legendscast. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to Legends Cast, a podcast about the legends of Runeterra. My name is Mark or the Lift from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and with me tonight is my legendary and ever faithful co-host, Dead Broke Nerd. Dead Broke Nerd, how you doing tonight, man? Doing pretty good, dude. I am amped up for this new set. So freaking exciting. I think that it's probably going to be one of the most impactful if not the most impactful small release we've ever had so i i'm just like super geared up to uh to talk about it and to play it i've got like so many deck ideas rumbling around in my brain so uh oh man it's gonna be awesome <laughs> yeah so those of you who are listening like within the first couple hours of this episode releasing um, we are recording right after we saw everything that's going to be coming out for the latest Guardians of the Ancient expansion, which is a new sort of small mini expansion, per se, uh, the second part of the Sharima cycle. And, uh, and we are getting a lot of very interesting cards. We started the conversation about it last week, but that was before we had seen any of the champions. And uh, we're definitely going to be diving into that real shortly because we really don't like there's not even a, much of a reason to waste much time like everyone wants to talk about these cards because there is some really interesting new directions new dynamics and new decks probably uh, archetypes maybe all kinds mm -hmm. I, I you know we got the last one today and i know dbn you were kind of hyped up for it and you got to watch some people actually playing with these cards today because they released them uh like to a test a test server right to to streamers mm -hmm. and i i didn't even know it like i missed it somehow uh and i really didn't have time to watch streams today anyway but tell me about that because i know you got a chance to kind of check out some of these cards in action today yeah no so uh i mean are we just we just diving in or just giving initial no, no. impressions Let, let's give some initial impressions of like oh this is interesting that's fun or i saw this type of deck and then and then we'll we'll go we'll do we'll do a full segment like we're just going to be talking about the cards pretty much the whole time. But I want to thank our patrons before we get to that. So. Yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, so today the I guess people who are uh, LOR content partners, so mostly streamers and, and YouTubers and stuff, um, they got access to the test servers and a lot of them, as I'm sure you guys are aware, were streaming. I spent most of my time watching Silverviews, uh, a friend of the show. And uh, she was coming up with all sorts of fun, uh, fun decks, and she scrimmaged against Saucy Mailman, BBG, and some other people, uh, as well as just kind of played against some random other people, uh, probably some devs on the test server and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I think she had uh, like numerous decks and kind of played a little bit of everything. So it was very exciting to uh, to watch, of course. But the uh, the thing that struck me was how potent i think each of the new kind of archetypes and play styles is shaping up to be i think that this may be again one of the one of the most if not the most impactful small batch sets that we've ever seen i'm willing to uh to stake my name on it for what little that it is worth 
That's a hot uh, take. It's a hot take. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do think uh, there's just a lot of really powerful stuff in there. Uh, and I think also, too, like there's some really powerful stuff for like some supporting um, factions. Like I think that like some cards that don't immediately go with the new cards are still really good in other decks and are going to be good in other decks. We have a lot to cover in terms of like individual card impressions and reviews and stuff. But basically, I think that each of the champions is going to find a playable deck and i think that at least two uh, of the champions are going to find a a close to tier one deck maybe you know maybe not s tier quite yet but but probably a, a tier one list and, and you know what's cool too ionia is back aggro i think is back in a big way i think hmm. it's going to be just a, a, it's going to be a fast environment at least for the first week or two as people start getting used to it and more importantly i think that uh my quest to bling out all of my daybreak cards with uh with premiums or whatever they're called uh um yeah the prismatic fancy, prismatic thank you uh is going to be well worth the time i'll just say that well uh that that is that's interesting because i there was there's a lot of things in this that i already began i talked on stream uh on wednesday or on monday and because uh, today's Tuesday, I talked on stream yesterday and we looked at everything up until sort of the last batch of cards. And uh, we had a lot of conversation around some of these daybreak cards that are coming out that are sort of mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's a couple cards that are coming out that I'm just going to be honest with you. I was like, that seems a little crazy to me. That might be that looks like a little bit much. Um, but and I had that uh, I sort of had that experience with several of the cards. And then we got more cards today, which is going to be kind of, I think, the hottest thing to talk about. So we're going to close out the episode mm -hmm. talking about the stuff that we just saw over the last, you know, 24, 48 hours. And because um, I think it is going to have one of the biggest splashes, but there are what I have found very interesting is I saw it and, and you see a lot of different directions to take this stuff. Now, I am kind of curious because a lot of times when we do get a small release of cards, we're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy or that's just nuts or whatever. And then we get like, oh, everyone's experimenting. This this deck's S tier. This deck's nuts. This deck's crazy. But really, it's because everyone is just playing the new stuff. And then when mm -hmm. people stop playing just the new stuff and we see atrocity return or which we can talk about because we might not um, or we see uh, all, all, you know, we can see all sorts of other things return back into the meta and sort of some of the new stuff ends up not having quite as big of an impact. Do you think what you saw today was a lot of people playing new stuff against new stuff and you saw S tier new stuff or do you think you saw S tier, A tier, like just genuinely top tier stuff, you know? Uh, or or yeah. are we going to just see Avalanche, you know, be like, oh, yeah, that's, oh, we forgot. That was a card in for the first four days no one no. was playing Avalanche. I think I think some of it, yes. Like, I, I think that uh, the thing I'm most uh, unsure about, I, I think Malphite and Zillion both seem, they'll have a deck that they're playable in, I'm pretty sure, but I don't think that they're going to jump up to being, like, uh, a top tier list right away it's going to take refinement it's going to take a lot of tinkering uh for them to find a solid uh consistent like strategy yeah. um because they're both very heavy build arounds and i think that it's hard to capitalize on what they're trying to do i think that um the thing that i'm i'm like i can see it going either way 
uh, of either jumping immediately to top tier or maybe not being quite as successful is like the new Daybreak cards. Um, and I've seen a, I saw a lot of people messing with Leona Yasuo. I think Leona anything is going to be stronger than it ever has been. That new Daybreak two drop that stuns is not so. Yeah. Um, and the, <laughs> yes. the landmark is interesting. I'm not sure if the landmark's going to make final cuts of anything. But, um, you know, but it's interesting and, and it can be really powerful. I mean, four stuns for five mana is good. Um, you just have to have the time to play it. But the cool thing is, is that if there's anything Daybreak's good at, it's snowballing a board in a very Demacia's, you know, style. Um, and the stuns help that. So I, I think it's playable, but it might be like a one buy. Like, I don't think it's going to be like the, a three buy mainstay, but we'll see. Um, so yeah. I can see that going either way. Aurelia is going to be strong. I, I can't see any way that it won't be won't be very strong. Yeah. Like I I just don't see how I, I think it can be countered. Like, don't get me wrong, I think there's counters to it. And I actually was gonna bring that up a little bit later in the episode. It's like, okay, so here's the things that I think are strong. Here's some things I recommend to beat it on day one, if you feel like doing that. Um yeah, which but, I, uh, we can in, get in into short, later in the episode, and maybe we can like, close out with some of like yeah. our advice on day one stuff. I think that's smart. Uh, but but in short, I do think that uh, Aurelia is going to be. I mean, I'm trying not to overreact, but I I just can't see how it won't find an A tier, maybe even S tier list uh, over the next month or two. Yeah. Like it's that potent, it's that mana efficient. Uh, and it's that flexible. I've seen it. I saw it successfully played in four different other regions. Ooh, like, like, dang, one of those is going to hit, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Especially once yeah. it gets tweaked and refined. Well, I tell you what, before we talk any more about the new cards, let's go ahead and thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash legendscast. I want to thank every single one of you guys who are over there supporting us. We appreciate you and you guys are absolutely next level, incredible amazing human beings um so thank you guys so much we have no new patrons this week uh to my knowledge um but if you would like to become a patron of the show visit patreon.com slash legends cast um and consider you know throwing us a throwing us a quarter an episode a dollar gives you access to the mulligan which was a really fun episode that we did last week um where we actually did get to record and keep the mulligan last week and it was a, a whole lot of fun to record that episode talking about games that didn't live up uh, to uh, sort of the test of time and, and some that did. And uh, it's really our opportunity to talk about all things nerd culture. Speaking of all things nerd culture, before we go up into the next su subject and we talk about the cards, DBN, may the fourth be with you, my friend. Yes, and, and also with you, sir. Uh, it's been a great may the fourth because the Bad Batch. Did you see that? Did Apparently that's dropping today. To, wait, today? The Bad Batch dropped today? That's what I heard. I got actually got a notification on my phone from Disney Plus saying that I can watch the Bad Batch. No way. Supposedly, I haven't checked to confirm. I'm actually doing that right now on my phone, making sure I'm not just spouting lies and it's not like another trailer. No, 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 no. I saw something about it on Discord. Nope. Today yep. Right here. Episode one. Episode one came out today. It's oh an hour gosh, and 14 minutes. Absolutely next level. Um, well, Dude, I know right? what I'm going to be doing for the rest of the week, uh, and that is trying to find time to watch The Bad Batch with my wife. Um, and uh, It's only Legends one episode. I think they're... I think they're just doing one a week, but it is an hour and 14 minutes. Like, holy crap. I didn't, I thought it was going to be like more like Clone Wars, like 30 minute episodes. Yeah. When you have two children, an hour and 15 minute episode is a multi-day adventure. 
Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I wouldn't understand then. <laughs> so, so sometimes it's not quite easy to find that hour and a half that you were looking for uh, to be able to <laughs> sit down and watch the show without interruptions and before someone's exhausted and ready to go to bed. Uh, but certainly before next week, well, I'm going to be watching that. That's very exciting. Um, but awesome. uh, enough of May the 4th. This isn't a Star Wars podcast, no matter how much I might want it to be on an every every now and then. Uh, instead, this is a Legends of Runeterra podcast. And in addition to watching The Bad Batch, I'm going to be playing a heck of a lot of LOR this week um, to check out these new cards. So why don't we go ahead and jump in to our main subject for this week, and that is card talk. What the b- is that? Okay, guys, we have lots and lots of cards to talk about. I mean, mm-hmm. a crazy amount of cards to talk about. And so we're going to be working our way through them, but we wanted to be dedicated to actually talking about every card that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and it to probably, to be fair, in varying degrees. Some of them are nuts. Some of them aren't crazy, but there's lots of them. So we're going to start off with one of the more recent, one of the oldest sets that's come out, came out sort of like the day after we recorded the last episode. And that set represents Zillion. Now, Zillion is kind of a time wizard champion from Legends of, or not from Legends of Runeterra now, but from uh, League of Legends. Uh, He is a two mana Sharima champion, and uh, he is a one attack, four health, so not terribly easy to get rid of early in the game. Um, And he has a play create four time bombs in your deck, deck, and then predict. And he levels up once you've, since he's seen you destroy two allied time bombs now at level up round start creating create a fleeting copy of each non-fleeting card i saw you play last round and then when you play them create four time bombs in your deck time bomb is a two mana landmark that says when i'm summoned draw one and advance other allied time bombs by one round and countdown one deal one damage to enemies and the enemy nexus so it's kind of like a board clear sort of uh sort of thing um but it's a landmark board clear and if you can sort of get a couple of them out all in the same round you likely will be able to you know explode a couple of these uh all at once to be able to to you know decimate your opponent's board level up zillion and then every card that you play every round you're getting a fleeting copy of each card as long as it wasn't fleeting from the turn before and zillion saw you cast it which is very, very interesting. So, DBN, I'm interested to hear you take, because I know that you're not quite as hot on Zillion as others, but there is so much going on here with this card. Yeah, so uh, the reason I'm not super hot on Zillion is because I never saw it pop off in the games I watched. I saw um, Silverfuse played a few times. Uh, now, granted, I didn't see get to see her whole stream, uh, but I saw, uh, I don't know, a couple hours of it, and... Um, I saw her messing with it. I saw BBG messing with it. I saw several people that she queued into messing with it, and it never seemed to really hit. Mm. Um, the way people were building it was with Shadow Isles playing a lot of defensive, you know, stall stuff, you know, withering whales and whatnot, uh, but then also running go hards and using the predict stuff to pull either time bombs when you need them or go hards and into pack your bags when you need them. <clears throat> that's me. an interesting thought yeah that's uh, that's not the direction that i had thought of at first was zillion but i think it's an interesting thought well right and i think that it is a viable thought but that's a deck that like surface level you're not going to get it right on day one like no this is a deck that whatever yeah. plays zillion is going to be complex to say the least mm-hmm. very yeah, and, and i just 
and I just, yeah, I don't think that it's going to be figured out right away. I think it's interesting. Now, the time bombs are cool because they can trip. Like that, if, if they didn't draw one immediately uh, when summoned, mm-hmm. they would be, they, I think they would really struggle to see play. And, but Zillion does come down super early. The key with Zillion, though, is you need a lot of cycle and or a lot of predict. But the cool thing is predict is stupid strong and the predict cards around him are fairly playable and cheap, right? Like you already oh, like uh, ancient machinations. You already like the aspiring chronomancer. I think side scout has the chance to really make a resurgence because of all of the really powerful um, elusive one, uh, one drop specifically, but also with the renewed potency of, um, Oh shoot. What's the, uh, the, Two one that grows in attack whenever you summon unit the elusive and Ionia. I can't think of what it's called. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two one elusive that gets plus one attack each time you summon a unit. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that card is going. You're gonna be. You guys are gonna be seeing a lot of that. So having elusive blockers in a deck like that is going to be pretty relevant, and you can pretty consistently between time bombs and then other, um, you know, other landmarks uh, get the proc and make sure that you uh, you have an elusive blocker like Psy Scout. Uh, so I think. I think there's something there. I think that the issue is going to be you really have to a get good with it because there is always issues of like, if you play too many zillions, too many copies of zillions, or if you play too many go hards, then you can't find the other stuff in your deck. Right? Sure. Yeah. You can make sure that you draw them and there's value there, but sometimes you're like, okay, crap. I need a unit to actually block doing damage isn't enough. And then, okay, I'm not, because that's the thing. Predict doesn't draw predict just puts something on top. So it's powerful again, like a time mage when you have time to prepare, not so much in the uh, immediate defense and reactive position. It's a very weirdly proactive control deck, at least the way people were trying to play it. So um, he's cool. And actually, some of the best visual effects of all of these cards that I've seen played, like he's a really cool, like, you know, uh, kind of machiney sci-fi sounding like uh, effects when he plays his time bombs. And then, of course, all the little animations look really cool. It's a cool card. And and I think that they don't have to have it doesn't have to be good right away. It can it's okay sometimes for a card to be just cool on release and then they can tune it up if they need to, especially because it's a champ and champs. They're they're always tinkering with champs. Yeah, I think that uh, the fact that the landmark draws was what was interesting to me, because when I saw Zillion, my instinct went to TF. And I said, okay, will Zillion and TF be really strong together? Because Zillion is another one of those champs, sort of like Aphilios, that reminds me of Twisted Fate. In the fact that he's going to cycle through, he's going to generate a lot of value for you once you Mm -hmm. level him up. And and he draws. And so all of those he helps give you control over your deck. Like all of those things are strong. And TF is oftentimes used, you know, for the the two damage and stun to a creature or the one damage to the entire board. And time bombs are going to help you control the board while you're also going to be playing a lot of predict around him. And then once he levels up, you're also going to be generating. So I was like, okay, maybe TF Zillion, they kind of want to work together. TF wants to draw cards. Zillion wants you to draw cards. The time bombs plus the TF board wipes will be able to do a lot of anti-aggro stuff because it'll be able to sweep a lot of damage off the board simply because of the tools that you already have with TF. Now, the question is, does Sharima, does the cards that you have available in Sharima and Bilgewater, are they actually strong enough to piece together a win condition? Because I think that Zillion in Twisted Fate 
have the ability to create a situation where you could certainly stall out the game and show a lot of problems to your opponent, but can you mm-hmm. actually piece together a win con from these two champions in these two decks? And now we've seen, you know, different win conditions come up before where TF was used to sort of cycle through and find those win conditions. I don't know that Zillion is it, but certainly leveled up Zillion and leveled up TF are both something to be afraid of because if you can imagine having both of those things leveled up on your turn like you will never ever ever be out of resources like until you draw your entire deck so that was something that i thought was kind of an interesting uh direction to maybe test out zillion that was kind of where my brain went first my stream had mentioned maybe zillion with karma um could be interesting as well i think there's something there it would be more interesting if the time bombs were spells and not landmarks because then your, uh, you know, you could copy them, um, which would be cool. Uh, you could, you know, get doubles of them. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. This is not a card that is going to get figured out when it gets released. If there's a point in which to break it, it's sometime in the future, right? Or at least unlock its potential. But I see, right. I see something unlockable there. You know. You know, and and I think there's something else to be said of um, like being able to play a more like mono Sharima list. Mm-hmm. Um, and run like Zillion and Talia. In fact, really, I think Talia got a lot of love this set. There's just a lot more Absolutely. options uh, and other, you know, you know, factions to play it with and, and champions to play it with. Whereas before, I think Talia was just kind of stranded on her own. It was hard to find one. And Aphelios was the best for a while, but it was never the best Aphelios deck. So it was just super awkward. <laughs> um, yes. So I, I think that there's there's really a lot to like about this set from a point of view of like hey like we're we're not only uh printing new stuff but we're also you know validating some of the older stuff that you guys saw and there's a lot of you know points of evidence towards that even outside of Shrima, but even within like you know targon or or uh ionia so very very cool um zillion yeah, and so I, i'm excited to see all the different ways that people try to play him uh i, I do want to say like amongst his card I think one of the like low key strongest cards in here is the Scrying Sands. I think that card's not low key. I think that card's nuts. Oh, I I think it's. I didn't see a lot of people playing it, but I think it's absolutely bonkers. Like in all, it, like Sharima decks, anything Sharima. Yeah, I think that card, a one mana burst, give a creature an enemy minus two minus zero, and predict. All of those things mm-hmm. happen. For one mana at burst speed, I think that this card is nuts. It's I think it's the most powerful card that we saw revealed in this, you know, particular, you know, particular like five card cycle for sure. I think mm-hmm. it's it it's really it is really crazy to me. If you're not, you know, you have now exhaust and scrying sands, like you have a lot of options for, you know, combat tricks and in addition to that, you know, additional benefits here with predict. I, I think this card's crazy. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's it's very very strong. Uh, <laughs> is, where, yeah. is where I'll I'll land on that one. Um, Soothsayer. You know, oh, Soothsayer. I'm not. No, no, no. I was just saying. Like, um, there's a lot of competition. I think for the best card in the set, but Scrying Sands, I think, is one that will everyone will look at. It and it's it's not splashy, but it's strong in a lot of situations. It's flexible, you know. So I think that. Uh, I think that people will eventually come to appreciate Scrying Sands as the troll chant of the pack. I mean, I would honestly probably try Scrying Sands if it was one mana burst predict. 
if if all that it did was one mana predict and I could just look at three cards and put one on the top of my deck, I think that card would see play without mm. having a combat trick attached to it. I don't know if I'd go that far, but I definitely understand the sentiment. It think, you know, it's it's really good. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Very good. It's very very strong and good. Uh so I think that uh yeah, I think I think we're going to be seeing a lot of it in the future. Uh, Soothsayer, though, you wanted to talk about this one? Yeah, two mana, one for Grant uh, Summit. When when I'm summoned, Grant Allied Champions and Landmarks Spell Shield. Um, and we know that, of course, Spell Shield does not go away at the end of a turn, so it's going to stick on uh, on your champions until it's busted. It's going to stick on your Landmarks until it's popped. Um, we had talked about landmark defense, and this is landmark defense. This is spell shield for landmarks. The only way to get rid of landmarks for the most part is skills and spells. I think it literally is the only way. And this mm-hmm. is uh, this is defense for that. Not at burst speed, not at fast speed, um, but on, you know, stuck to a body. And a 1-4 is bad for two mana, arguably. Um, but the if you're running a lot of if you're running a lot of landmarks, this is the only way to really protect your game plan here. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's um I don't know if it'll be quite necessary because the the funny thing is is that I I don't know if there's enough landmark removal in the game slash being played for this to be necessary. I think a lot of times that there is um people just kind of leave your landmarks alone by and large, with the exception of Star Spring that's been sitting out, and then maybe the person you're playing against on ladder decided to tech a uh a landmark removal. Now that may change if some of those like like that five mana stun landmark becomes viable. Mm-hmm. Um, I suspect we'll see people start slotting in scorched earths and stuff like that. Some people I know uh, in the, our Discord community already prefer uh, scorched earth to like Noxian guillotine, just because they like you know the flexibility in cutting down a landmark as opposed to uh, getting a second cast. In hand. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, but I think the more important and potentially more dangerous thing is that it gives allied champions the spell shield as well. That is what scares me is handing champions like spell shield for two mana. Um, now I know that like, yeah. there's that thought in your head of like, well, that you have to have the soothsayer and you have to have your champion. Well, decks play around champions. They build off of champions. If you don't hit your champion, you're, you're usually in a hard way unless you're an aggro deck anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, most decks will on average see at least one copy of their champion per game, usually two. So like, and if anything, it's more consistent because you're looking at a, a faction that has not only an allegiance draw champion, but also a zero mana slow spell draw champions. So like you're going to have champions if you're playing Sharima. And, uh, I, I'm a little worried about what handing things spell shield at two mana can, can do. Um, not, not that you couldn't do that already, but you couldn't do that yet in Sharima. Uh, yeah. So. I mean, on, honestly, to give, uh, all of your champions on board spell shield for two mana, this could be a two mana one, one, not, not that the four health makes an enormous difference. I mean, it can chump block a couple, maybe an additional time. Yeah. It blocks two things now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it's it, relevant, but it, it's definitely relevant, but it yeah, could have been a one, one. Yeah, I, I could have seen the argument, or maybe a two-two. I could have seen the argument for a two-two. You know, two mana, so two-two. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that as is, like it's, uh, it's a little bit scary, and I think that that's exciting. I don't know. I just I don't know exactly how to feel about it, but all I do know is I'm going to be keeping my eye on that one. 
Yeah, absolutely. As will I, my friend. Uh, Chrono Shift, which is Zillion's flip card. Seven mana burst speed. And give an allied champion the next time I die this round. Fully heal me and grant me plus three, plus three instead. And of course, if this is your second Zillion, it is also going to shuffle a Zillion into your deck. Um, another very interesting card. Um, at burst speed, I mean, this is... This is pretty cool protection. It's really hard to tell. It's seven mana how good this card actually is. But uh, to be able to say, okay, you want to you wanna target me with vengeance, I can just say, well, you, you literally cannot react here. Like, I'll, I'll just protect my guy. Or to say, like, I can atrocity... Well, you can't atrocity and this on the same turn. Um, but but if, if someone's targeting to remove your thing or blocking to remove your champion or gives them vulnerable and yanks them in um, and you have enough mana, you can just be like, well, not only are you you're not going to really kill this. Um, if I can deal any damage to you, I'm going to. And, and then on top of that, I'm going to get it back with a plus three, plus three. And that plus three, plus three is not temporary. It is permanent, my friend. I think that's a worthy seven mana investment in my book. Yeah, I I think um I think it's going to be really strong as a uh as the zillion like duplicate card because uh that's like in that in fact maybe a, a pretty you know a, a low key strength of zillion is the power of his um duplicate card because pulling a chrono shift like main decking a chrono shift decks that do that you'll know probably queuing in after like after people have memed around with it for a bit, if there ever becomes a chrono shift deck, like people will know to play around it and they'll know to expect it uh, and watch the mana pool. But against a zillion specific deck that's trying to do time bomb related things, having a chrono shift in there can potentially completely warp their own their math because they're like, I'm not, they, I'm not running into a deck that would massively benefit or have its game plan based around chrono shift therefore they're probably not running chrono shift well with zillion you never know and if you try to axe mm -hmm. their zillion before he levels and his level is good oh yeah um then all of a sudden you might get hit with a chrono shift and not only is zillion uh not dead he's stronger than before and harder to kill for the rest of the, the rest of the game now i have seen people talking about playing this with out of the way for a permanent i can never die and anytime i would i get plus three plus three seems really fun uh and oh, also interesting yeah i mean that's a sick combo that would be difficult to pull off um but for protection for a champion i think this card's really really cool I, I was hoping they were going to give us something with Zillion that would, you know, resurrect your champion because that is kind of his main point in, in LOL. And uh, mm -hmm. I think Chrono Shift is a good way to do it. It's costly enough that I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but the benefit, like the payoff, the way you can trick your opponent and the fact that you're sitting at burst speed, that is part of it's like, okay, like burst speed really makes this card juicy for me and makes me want to try it, right? Uh, yeah. because of the, the burst speed opportunity. Now, we have a lot of other cards in the next two uh, releases, and it was really one release cycle. We have them on, on two different slides here, um, or two different uh, pages, that are going to be kind of like all of the cards that are coming out that are not in the three factions that are getting a champion. And so it's going to be Bilgewater, Freljord, Shadow Isles, Demacia, Piltover and Zahn, and Noxus. And I think that uh, we, got a, we got, I think that we got, some cool stuff um mm -hmm. i think that we got some cool stuff so a bone skewer and I, I would imagine that you're excited about this one dbn are you looking at it do you want to take us through bone skewer 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bone Skewer is a two-mana fast spell in Bilge Water. It says an ally strikes an enemy, then moves to the top of your deck. Um, I, I want to go ahead and talk about this in conjunction with this um, with the other one, the other Bilgewater card, because they think it's really important for what I'm going to say here. Uh, the, the other one is Monster Harpoon. It's another spell. Six mana, fast spell. Deal five to a unit. But if you have plundered, it only costs three. So if you've plundered, it's a three mana, deal five to a unit. At Which fast could be speed. a champion. Yeah, so it can be a champion. So... Uh, the devs have gone on the record saying part of Bilgewater's identity is having really crappy removal. Like, inefficient, mm -hmm. overcosted, just generally bad. Okay? When Bilgewater first rolled out, we didn't feel that because Make It Rain was so strong at two yeah, mana. Yeah, very strong. And so it didn't feel that way. But when you really looked at it and you broke it down, they would get uh, removal pulled from usually either... Uh, either some like buff slash protection stuff from failure, which isn't really removal, but it helps you win trades or they would go and grab like, uh, was it Noxian fervor and death's hand from Noxus? In which case, of course you've got great removal right there. So you didn't feel that, but as mm -hmm. Bilgewater has been nerfed and nerfed and nerfed and nerfed, it's become mind numbingly apparent that they have no way of interacting with the opponent whatsoever. Like very little, very, very little. They, they, yeah. Not that's good anyways, mm -hmm. right? Um, the exception being like the deep strategies, right? So like if you want to sure. play any sort of non like, uh, was it pre-built non-theme deck uh, bilge water, you really have to heavily rely on what the uh, the other faction is doing in terms of removal. And so what that tends to mean is the entire plunder synergies just don't really work anymore. Right, like a, a core true. part of their identity with plundering and nabbing, um, they're just not seeing any play. So my interpretation of this is them saying, "Okay, okay, okay, okay." Obviously, we still have this idea. We don't want to give Bilgewater a ton of really strong removal, but we're going to give it some situational removal that can be strong. You mm -hmm. just have to build into it. And I love this. I love this for Bilgewater. I love this for design. Like, I don't like the idea of saying, we're going to print bad removal. That's crappy. It's a bad attitude to have. It's a bad direction to have. I've seen it in so many games before where they just decide, yeah, this these people are going to not have this at all or be, or, or be really bad at it. But we're still going to print cards that say, hey, we're trying. Right. And what sure. does that do? It ends up leaving those cards like like was it double tap or, or double up or whatever sitting in your binder slash card collection uh, and never seeing the light of day. So don't print bad cards. Instead, print cards that can be good if you commit to them, if you build around them. Right. And that's the better way to like, it's okay to print a good stuff removal in PNZ, like just generally wide ranging, like Mystic Shot or Thermo Beam. That's part of their identity. If it's not part of the identity, instead put more restrictions on it about when and what situations you can play it, but still make it efficient if those conditions are met. So from a design perspective, Bone Skewer and Monster Harpoon check both of those boxes for me. 
I haven't put too much thought into thinking about what I want to be moving to the top of my deck, but that's the exciting part. Like what kind of creatures would I be okay with like getting a quick stab in and then jumping them back to replay them on a future turn? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it's a cool thought. And meanwhile, Monster Harpoon gives you a really strong payoff for plundering in the idea of a three mana deal five to a unit better than black spear. Right. Oh, yeah. Much better. Um, but it's a payoff for plunder now that before the payoff, like the payoffs for plunder were pretty non-existent outside of Rex and Rex has been nerfed twice. And by the, uh, by the way, uh, I, I went through and looked at all the plunder cards. There's not as many in Bilgewater as you think. And the ones in Bilgewater are like worse than the ones in Frail Yard um, now. So it's just kind of a, a, a feels bad situation that I feel like these are at least attempts to, uh, you know, to to rectify. So very very exciting. There's still the issue of how do I get consistent plunders, but there are cards that you can run. You can run the the um, the one mana one two that that uh, taps the opponent uh, for one. Mm -hmm. It's like a little mini um, a mini MF, and you can run MF if you want. You can run overwhelm units if you want. You like there's ways to do it. Shot if you really wanted to get this off, like sure, if sure, became uh, so, more of a central strategy to what you're doing. And I think that this really just brings us back to the you know mid range bilge water that I loved so much on its initial release. I mean, I I laddered so hard with um, uh, Twisted Fate and uh, Gangplank. I want to say, but then I also played like Swain in gangplank i played mm -hmm. swain and tf like i just played all like all these different variants of like using those champions that cared about damaging the opponent and play them in these mid-range fashions that were so fun and were like stealing cards from the opponent which i still have no issue with i just think this is awesome i love bilgewater it's it's my favorite faction that and noxus are, are my favorite faction so um i'm just i just love to see this for bilgewater yeah, I uh, I am really digging both, um, and I am thinking about, like, my mono Bilgewater Monkeys deck will use Monster Harpoon, without a doubt, because as a mono Bilge deck, I have, a lot of times, my problem with my deck was that I just couldn't get rid of targets when I needed to get rid of them, because I just didn't have a way to interact, so if I didn't get the Powder Monkeys going early enough and mm -hmm. ticking away at my opponent, there just wasn't a lot that I could do. This monster harpoon gives me the opportunity to remove some stuff. Bone skewer gives me the ability to remove some stuff. Uh, really like both of these cards and definitely interested in playing them. Could even see uh, like bone skewering with gangplank to just remove something, throw the gangplank back on your deck and be able to get the uh, get the uh, thing. And, and you know what? The other interesting thing is too is that bone skewer is an answer to other pieces of removal because if your opponent mm -hmm. is shooting a vengeance, let's say for example, or a crumble or something at uh, at your at your champ. Um, you're able to choose your ally, strike something without getting struck back, and then throw it on top of your deck and protect it, draw it next turn if you want to protect something. So it's sort of a delayed protection, um, but it can mm -hmm. also counter stuff. And I think that there is some interesting gameplay. And at only two mana, I think it's going to be a very strong card. I think that's the key, is that at two mana, it has the ability to be card. It, it strong. It's anti-tempo, um, but and it could be it, used it is a trick, all kinds of stuff. Well, and it's a reactive... Um removal as opposed to like a proactive and that's that if anything like the the downside becomes a lot less like bad when you are um well when you have a lot of units that you you don't mind putting on the top i mean it it, it weirdly is kind of bad if you're losing because like mm -hmm. 
your unit gets killed and it goes on the top and and that may not be what will save you off of a top deck right so like there's some weak inherent weakness there but it, it, in a game where you're not already losing right especially a game where you're trying to establish board presence um them killing your thing it's just like it's it's just the same as like a glimpse beyond or a single combat before something dies you know like these mm-hmm. these cheap cards you can hold in the back pocket that say okay you know you're killing this thing i am like seeding the idea of losing this unit but i'm going to get a lot of value from it before it goes away that undercuts the tempo you would have gotten by just killing it yeah yeah so yeah very cool let's let's go uh frail yard here mr frail yard yeah so there's two frail yard cards i'll highlight both of them because i'm not like super thrilled about either not saying that either bad four mana burst spells to come to the cold uh this is a common uh and it's frostbite an enemy summon a frozen thrall um Freljord has frostbite Freljord has summon thralls i think enough that oftentimes the thralls that you do summon you don't even really want more than one or two on the board um because they take up spots on your board and Freljord is a pretty board centric deck um i don't think this is where lissandra was at her best and uh you know she's better in other archetypes than a frozen thrall sort of like landmark synergy um it does strengthen uh the epic dark lord inquisitor um which i mm-hmm. cannot believe i Drac-Lorn. pulled that name Draclorn. i i almost i almost pulled that name out of my you almost there. did so close um and uh so just had to I, bring you back down to earth <laughs> yeah yeah don't get too excited mark you were close but no cigar um so succumb to the cold really uh i mean it's interesting but i think that you have better better frostbites and probably even better abilities to get the thralls on the board just flat out playing them you really genuinely don't want to get frozen thrall out on turn four i'll also go to buried and then i'll let you talk about these uh if you have a comments mm-hmm. as well dbn buried in the ice uh is a nine mana slow spell for failure obliterate each enemy to summon a frozen tomb in its place and of course a frozen tomb is a uh countdown to landmark that will summon uh, what it had obliterated. Um, now I looked at this and I thought, still not very good um, because you have to cast this at slow. Your opponent has the ability to respond. Um, after you cast it, they get to go so they can then replace, if their board was full, you know, replace one of their frozen tombs with, you know, something new if they need to or put something new on the board to be able to chump locker. I did see somebody say, like, maybe it is an aggro finisher to sort of cut down all of your opponent's blockers. Um, maybe, but at nine mana, you've probably lost the game and don't have a board remaining in order to push damage through if you really are playing aggro. And Freljord isn't known for being really good at playing aggro either. They're good at mid-range, good at control, typically not great at aggro. Um, I don't think that Buried in the Ice nor Scum to the Cold will see play. That's my thought, my sort of hot take reaction. Uh, DBN, what did you think? Yeah, they're they're both very niche. I think Buried in the Ice isn't going to see play, but I think Succumb to the Cold could see play if Spectral Matron, um, like combo with Watcher gets nerfed. Which, spoiler alert, we did get our patch notes. It has not gotten nerfed, which now tells me apparently that was intended. See, I went this whole set with the assumption of maybe they just didn't see the Spectral Matron combo, right? Because it's so dumb and it's so dominating mm. that they must not have seen this. But they're clearly at the very little they're they're condoning it with this patch is what you know. So okay, apparently that's intentional. And all that means is that like the thrall synergies are gonna never be worth playing competitively oh you know, over just playing spectral uh matron. So mm-hmm. 
that's kind of a bummer, but yeah, whatever. It's no matter how you slice it, like it still has a double usefulness. You know, like it, it, it still it has it's doing more than more, one thing. It's doing more than one thing, and there's value to that. You know, um, so I, I can definitely still see it getting played here and there, just not not at the consistency level that you would need to make this super super potent mm -hmm. uh consistently. So that's okay though. Not every card has to be uh not every card has to be amazing. It just has to be playable in a certain situation. And, and then I think that you're doing a good job. Absolutely. The so. Shadow Isles card that we got is the Wings and the Wave. It is a one mana epic zero one that says play. Uh, play me as first wave or last wind. First wave is a one mana zero one. That is when I'm summoned, summon a prey. And last wind is a one mana three three that reads to play me. Kill an ally. Uh, I thought this card is playable. I, as soon as I looked at it, I was like, yep. Shadow Isles. I mean, this this is versatile. It is capable of putting stuff on the board. It's capable of sacking, uh, you know, your Cursed Keeper on on turn three and summoning a three three and a four three off of it. Um, it is it, it it's capable of a lot of different things, I think, and also able to just throw down some chump blockers, put out some other stuff that you might want to eat with some of your sacrifice cards. Um, I could see a lot of uses for the wings and the wave. I'm not a, I, I think there are some one mana cards that have snuck their way into Freljord at or at into Shadow Oz at different times that this could replace um things like the guy who who last breaths put something in your hand. Um, you mm -hmm. know, the the important thing is here is it gives you cannon fodder to sack, and that it also gives you something that wants to sack stuff. And sometimes the problem with the Shadow Isles decks is that you're in your hand, all you have is stuff that you want to sacrifice, or all you have is stuff in your hand that you need to sacrifice something with in order to get its value or to even play it. And what this does is it gives you a little bit of flexibility at one mana to say, I can either generate stuff that I can sack if my hand's full of things that need to sacrifice things, or if my hand is full of stuff that I need to sacrifice, it also gives me the ability to play at one mana, three, three, and sack something that I need to sack. I think that in and of itself, maybe not in the current iterations of Shadow Isles, but certainly in, uh, well, maybe, maybe in the NASA Shadow Isles deck. I, I think I think a card's good. I, th I think it's really good. Um, yeah. Any sort of versatility mm -hmm. I see at one mana, I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm in on that. So yeah, yeah, hand it over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please give it to me. Let me play with it. Do you have any other thoughts about the the wings, the wings and the wave? Nothing you didn't say. It's not one of them. It's not a super exciting card to me, to be honest. It is not exciting, but it's a tool that Shadow Isles. Uh, no, I mean, not the Shadow Isles needed tools right now, but it is a tool that Shadow yeah, Isles needed. <laughs> Yeah, it's a tool that Shadow Isles can use in certain situations. But I, yeah, I'm very meh on this. I, I don't actually think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to dictate any archetypes that aren't already there, is I guess what I'll, I'll land on. Sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. It's not going to shift anything. It'll just make some existing archetypes probably a little bit better. Um, mm -hmm. You want to take us through the two mm -hmm. Demacia cards? Because I think they're both pretty interesting cards. Uh sure no you know what you do it i don't want to talk about demacia it's my least favorite faction you talk about okay demacia. i'll talk about demacia you talk about p and z and and uh and, deal and uh yes, noxus deal. after that so uh we got two elites two more elites to go into the elites package that we're really pushing with 
Uh, Demacia right now, it is uh, Ardent Tracker, 6 mana, 3-5 with Scout. When you summon an Elite, reduce my cost by 1. This is going to be the third card that we're going to see that's going to just straight up reduce cost whenever you're playing Elites. Um, we have a 3 mana, 4-4 four, four that's dropped drop by 1. And then we have, of course, uh, whatever the 10 mana 1 is, the 10 mana spell um, that drops cost by 1 every time you play a uh, creature or uh, an Elite specifically. Um, it's another Elite. It discounts itself. Whether or not this finds play, it's it's funny. There's so many elites now. There's actually some competition um, for who gets what spot. And it'll be interesting to see sort of like, when does this actually hit the board? Because you now have a turn one, turn two non-elite that you actually would like to play. Um, in the Ardent Squire, I believe is the name of it. And then uh, the one that buffs all of your elites. And you may actually mm -hmm. not want to be discounting this stuff in the early game at the same time. There are elites that you might want to play turn one and turn two. What Demacia really needs is a turn, a strong turn two elite. Right now it has a two mana, two, two with tough, which isn't bad, but I wouldn't describe that as strong. Um, will this card see play? I don't know. I'm going to experiment with it. Uh, then Scythria, Lady of the Clouds, 10 mana, 10, 10 with Challenger. Big, beefy girl, uh, more powerful than all the champions in, in <laughs> uh, or at least uh, more stats than all the champions in Demacia. Um, when I'm summoned, double other allies, power and health, and grant them Challenger. So if you have a board, you're going to double up on everything that's in their health and their attack, and then you're going to give everyone Challenger, which is going to be allowing you to dictate the board with those creatures. Um, this is not an aura. It's not going to enchant your nexus to make this happen for all times. It's not the Tusk Raider, which is going to buff your entire deck. It's just going to do it to your board. And I am going to run Scythria, Lady of the Clouds, as a one-of finisher in my Demacia deck to sort of take down a control deck that has regained power and is stalling me out. Um, that's where I'm seeing Scythria at, and I'm going to try at least one of her. I think she's really, really cool. And um, I saw someone in our Discord say, I just can't wait till there's enough Scythrias that I can just play a deck of Scythria. So we're mm. getting there. So uh, this is something that I had a discussion with um, somebody. I feel bad. I, it might have been... Oh, I don't want to say the wrong... It might have been Silent Eric, but I'm not exactly sure. Okay. But I had a discussion with somebody uh, and talking about Vaults of Helia. Um, interesting. And what's fascinating about this card, now I, I will preface this by saying I'm not convinced that Vaults of Helia is is like gonna be able to bounce back at all or ever it never was there. Bounce up, I guess. Bounce. <laughs> bounce. Uh, uh and I also will not say that I think it's gonna be better than Anivia Rekindler in Vaults, which again was arguably not that much better, or maybe just different playable than the version that is simpler to play that doesn't run vaults yeah sure but cythria lady of the clouds is a 10 drop that has a summon effect not a play effect a summon effect strong summon effect. which with with vaults uh would mean you would be able to chain uh, a nine drop into this and get an actual benefit um because i'm pretty sure there's no other 10 drop that you would actually get anything out of it no, um so that is pretty fascinating uh i don't know if that'll make any impact but i thought it was a neat little point of conversation yeah i'll try that i'm, I'm in on that yeah, i'm in why on not trying, uh, well I vaults mean, of helia needs to be like three or four mana three mana honestly it needs to be three mana and not five uh five <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I can agree with that. Yeah, Cynthia Lady of the Clouds. I'm gonna give her a try. I'm gonna give her a try in my my Demos. Why not? It's for no other reason than it's cool. It's a cool card. It's cool it powers. Cool card art. Neat to see Cythria grow up. You know, throughout these three expansions, three big expansions. So, yeah, very neat. Tell us about the P and Z cards that are coming to us, DBN. All right, I'll tell you about the seemingly lame slash confusing one first, which is Adaptatron Three Thousand. Yeah, that one's lame uh, and confusing. Lame and confusing. Uh, it's a one mana one three. Now, hey, one three, not too bad, you know. But uh, still, though, come on. Um, <laughs> I think that what's interesting here uh, with this guy is that he's talking about when you summon a tech. And I'm going to my collection and I'm trying to find what things are techs. So let me just type that in here. Heimerdinger's uh, turrets are all techs. Heimerdinger's turrets are the only techs. Okay. Now, uh, that's neat because the thing with Heimerdinger is obviously uh, he sucks. Yeah. But oh, each of his bad. turrets, each of his turrets have different keywords. So with Adaptatron, if I'm reading this correctly, it says when you summon a tech, we share keywords. So that means that if Adaptron has a keyword, it will give it to the other uh, uh, turret, yeah. and then the turret will give Adaptron its keyword. So it's completely interchangeable. So basically, Adaptron is like a backup storage for the keywords that Heimerdinger's uh, turrets have if you can keep it around long enough. Uh, cute, kind of confusing. Seems seemingly hard to play around. You know, if there were some like, if there were some of Victor's cards that had like the that were techs, you know, uh, then I think that I would look at this very differently. You know, um, yeah, because they already can do so much stuff with keywords like the mimic. You know, the was it the augmented mm -hmm. um, mimic, uh, mechanized mimic? Like if that was a tech, then I feel like I'd be oh hmm interesting, but it's it's not. So, uh, Adaptatron 3000, cute. Maybe it'll help Heimerdinger out. But, you know, and, and if you're playing Heimerdinger, I don't see why you couldn't put some Adaptatrons in. It's not a very big, you know, investment, but it's not a spell. It will block a couple things and live one or two things on turn one because it's got the three defense. But, end of the day, I, I don't think it's anywhere near close to what Heimerdinger needs. However, Sumpworks Posse uh, slash Kyrian Sumpworks, Cheerian Sumpworker. Yeah, so Cheerion Sump Worker, yeah, that's playable. Oh, yes. uh, in fact, I I saw it played. It was it was kind of scary. So uh, Cheerion Sump Works, uh, it's a, a two mana one two elusive. Now I saw this played in an Irelia deck, and it was pretty fascinating. Uh, just because it already had some like inherent like latent synergies, just generally having some elusive units, and then your opponent has to spend a lot of their resources not dying to blades, um, and so your elusive units can go in and, and pop through. Uh, but more importantly, uh, so when you summon another Cheerian Sump Worker, obliterate me and transform the other Sump Worker uh, and Sump Workers everywhere into Sump Works Posse. So if you're if you're paying attention, what this means is you play first copy and he's a two mana one two with elusive. Not that great, but at least he can start popping the face. As soon as you get a second copy, you can drop him. The first one will die or rather join the second one into a Sumpworks posse. And then for the rest of the game, any of your Sumpworkers are now posses. The Sumpworks posse yep. is a two-mana 4-2 with elusive. It says attack, 
Deal one to enemies and the enemy nexus. It's an ice shard that only affects your opponent. And it's a two mana four, two elusive and any other copies for the rest of the game uh, have that. So your third copy of your deck slash any copies that you make off of iterative improvement. Damn. Iterative improvement puts copies in your deck. There is also puts uh, it in your hand. Oh, puts it in your puts hand. It in your hand um, and gives a plus one plus one. There's also uh, shuffle three of these into your deck at, I think, two mana burst speed. Uh, there's also a card that supports, and when it supports, it shuffles, I believe, three into your deck. Um, so there's definitely ways to put a bunch of these into your deck um, and also to copy and put some into your hand. Mm -hmm. it, it could orient around that in drawing. Like, there could be a deck that orients just around the, the this card in drawing. Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries it and can maybe get it to work part of the time. Obviously, a deck like that would be super vulnerable to just not drawing your first copy early on. But I think the sure. biggest thing that this is going to be useful in is an aggro decks that uh, can get value out of iterative improvement or even mid-range decks that can get other values from iterative improvement. And the Aurelia deck I saw today, all of those Blade Dance, all of those cards that say play Blade Dance are worth, you know, using iterative improvement on and getting copies of and triggering more blade dances like that that deck lived and died by how many blade dances it can trigger yep. so like so like you already have a, you have a card like iterative improvement that has multiple uses so why not put in this card which can get like gangbusters off of it you know and by itself isn't that bad either mm -hmm. yeah I, really I, really I, cool I, card I think this is this is very creative and one of my this is my favorite card out of the stuff that they released that aren't in kind of like the three regions that are getting champs. Yeah. I think it's really cool. Yeah. So what about uh these these Noxus cards? Tell me about them. You tell me about them, man. All right. Incisive tactician, eight mana four five in Noxus. Reputation, I cost six. When I'm summoned, rally. I don't know. I feel like people were running Shun Pose um recently mm -hmm. and just to get rallies in noxus okay so there's a uh unit that can now rally sure maybe i don't think it'll be that good it's just kind of prohibitively costed and doesn't have great stats um and an eight like i mean hopefully you're getting reputation so it's a six mana four five that does this kind of like a citrus courier you know but um mm, Maybe a one by occasionally as a mix-up card, but I don't think it's going to be super impactful, so I don't really want to talk about it too much. I do want to mention the Thrashing Snapper, which obviously is really cool because it's it's the it's a play on the two mana Snapper from uh, Ionia, but this one oh, clearly yeah. has been captured by it's a, it's the exact same creature. This one's been captured by the Noxians and was put into the arena, um, so he's a sad Snapper, but mm. uh, he's a one mana two one. <laughs> But when an enemy blocks it, it gets plus three attack. So first off, obviously, swinging with it in an aggro deck is really cool. You've got this two one. I don't know if it'll. I don't know if it'll beat out the other great one drops in Noxus. But if you ever want more, this is a nice one because it'll push two damage. But if they try to block it, it'll kill whatever it is that that is. They will not get value trades off of blocking Threshing Snapper or Thrashing Snapper. Like that's pretty cool. But what's more cool, in my opinion, is its use th to trigger reputation. Yeah, I mean, it that's clearly what up the to a five. Right, it pumps up to a five attack unit and says, "Okay, 
Block me at your own peril because you're speeding up my uh, my whispered words. You're speeding up everything else, uh, and you're going to get punished for it down the road. So you basically have to keep letting this 2-1 uh, bump into you, uh, or you have to spend a trick to not trigger their reputation, which you wouldn't do because it's one drop. It's a really cool card, uh, and I, I, de- I know it's going to be going and slotting into my um, my Rose Buddies list right away. I was running Blade Squire in there before, um, just as a way to trigger Trifarian Hopeful, but also a way to, you know, get some of those blade fragments and stuff. But it doesn't speed up, really, it doesn't speed up your uh, your reputation at all. It's just kind of in there to for some early board presence. And Threshing Snapper, or Thrashing Snapper, excuse me, goes in there right away. Yeah, oh, I think so. I think, thra- I think that card is, I completely agree, uh, instinctive, uh, no, what, in, incisive? Incisive Tactician. Mm-hmm. Um not great uh thrashing snapper super cool really like thrashing snapper um you find a way to give that sucker overwhelm too even better love it love thrashing snapper um let's jump to target huh um we're really getting into like the last you know four or five panels of cards here um and uh and now we're getting into target and ionia the two regions that did get champions spiral stairs three mana landmark uh with countdown three create a seat of strength in hand the seat of strength is a zero mana slow fleeting card that says grant an ally plus three plus two and overwhelm now that plus three plus two is permanent um and overwhelm is permanent however you are playing a three mana do nothing that you don't get a benefit from for three turns and then you're going to play that benefit at slow speed, which your opponent literally knows they have in hand, and your 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 opponent gets to react to it. And if you want to try to hold it for when your opponent is tapped out, you can't because Seed of Strength is fleeting. I think this card is bad. I think that Spiral Stairs is potentially the worst card that I saw. Well... Maybe that in the next card that we're going to talk about. But am I wrong? Tell me that I'm wrong about that in some capacity because I, I, I don't feel like I am. Uh, I don't think that you are. You always have to watch out for anything that gives overwhelm. The problem is you're doing it in a faction that has multiple other ways to give overwhelm. So Probably Arguably better ways. Well, definitely better ways. Uh, the Zenith Blade is better. You know, I mean, I know you don't get as many stats, but you don't have to wait on it. You can get another copy if you play it as your first action, you know. Um, it's not fleeting. <laughs> still a spell. I mean, yeah, it costs the same amount of mana. You don't have to wait on it. Yeah, Spiral Stairs is bad. I will say that there are going to be times where you can generate Spiral Stairs off of, like, the create a random landmark thing from, like, Talia or uh, or things like that. And, and in that case, yeah, you might play it. And yeah, I might win a game, but I don't think this is going to get main decked anywhere. There's just better landmarks. Like, there's some really strong landmarks, guys, and this is not one of them. Now, granted, what it does do, I should say, um, the Targon, these are Targon landmarks. Now, you look at a landmark deck and you say, yeah, you probably want to pair it with Sharima. Probably. Probably. But in the situation where you want to play landmarks real bad and you're not playing it with Sharima for some reason, you may feel the need to slide in an extra landmark or two. And that's what these are here for. They're not trying to be better than Sharima's landmarks. The landmarks in Sharima are core identity, and they're very good. I think that this is intentional. It's kind of like what we talked about with the Bilgewater removal. There is upside to these cards. You just have to work for it, right? Sure. Whereas the the 
the landmarks in Tarima, they're like, these are just straight good. Like ancient machinations, just straight up good. You know, uh, preservarium, straight up good. Like these have upside, got to work for them. And that's okay, I think. Now the units around these landmarks, that's something that we'll be able to talk about because they're, they're very impressive. But Rockfall Path, that's the next landmark on our list here. Yeah, this one you said you think is, yeah, this one you said you think is bad, and I I do want to challenge that a little bit. Um, It's a two mana landmark countdown to obliterate the weakest enemy. Um, Do I think this is going to see frequent play? No. Do I think it's going to see some play? Yes. And in those situations, I think it can be really good. The the thing is, is like right now it's not going to be great because you have a lot of the most powerful decks go pretty wide. You know, yeah. uh, Thresh Nasus, Discard Aggro, uh, Azir and Lucian. You've got, um, you know, Nightfall Aggro. And in those situations, not only is playing a Countdown 2 card a, a little slow, but they have the time to manipulate it such that, um, you know, they can kind of, kind of like with Kindred, make sure that the weakest enemy isn't actually that that big of a deal they don't care if they lose it it's a prey or it's a mm-hmm. you know already used blighted caretaker or whatever however there have been in the different periods of this game there have been times where the meta has shifted towards there being very few but powerful you know units uh that have been coming down like you have smaller board states but everything is like largely important and in that meta rockfall path would do a ton of work and really throw them for a loop because there's no way around it. Especially like it doesn't kill them. It obliterates them. Yeah. You're only, way and there's no damage. I mean, there's path. no, and it's not targeted. So spell shield doesn't protect them. That's true. That's true. So, okay. So, okay. In, in, a, in any, I would say maybe in a tournament setting where you know what you're going up against, and you know that you can slot this well against your opponent's deck, who is counting on only a small handful of powerful creatures or champions, this could find play. However, I think outside of that, in ladder, this card is bad. I I, I, I also want to point out one, one other little thing, which is that with the Shereman cards that can advance landmarks, specifically time in a bottle, this does look a lot better. Because yeah. they don't know that you're going to advance it instantly and trigger it right away on your turn or on, in the middle of a turn. They think it's, they have time to set up to defend it, and they can really step into some misplays with that. So, like, there, th- I think that like it's a niche play card, but it's playable. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I would, I think I probably think it's more niche than you think, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. The next one is Earth Elemental, four mana, three five with Overwhelm, which of course is not terrible stats. I mean, it's pretty average stats with Overwhelm. You know, it's basically a four mana, four four with Overwhelm. It's got the bigger butt. That's not bad. But then once you have summoned four plus landmarks this game, grant me plus three plus zero. So this is a six five with Overwhelm for four mana. But you have to play four plus landmarks or summon four plus landmarks, which is interesting with the next card that we're going to talk about, Blue Sentinel. Um, I don't think that this card is good, um, but I don't hate this card. I I think that this card is better than Spiral Stairs or Rockfall Path. I think that it finds the easiest play in a deck with Shurima that is going to be summoning landmarks without you necessarily having to play those landmarks, things like Rock Hopper and other things. 
um, where maybe sees a little bit more play, maybe interesting with some rock bear synergies. Um, but a four mana six five with overwhelm is nothing to shake. Like that's a that's an aggressive, difficult to deal with four mana threat, um, and uh, yeah. that should not be overlooked. You know, this card's going to be a staple in landmark decks. Sure, a four I mean, mana a six five. Landmark. He's a powerhouse. Like. If if landmarks suck, yeah, sure, this guy will suck. But if landmarks are good, this guy is going to be, you know, a beast. Especially especially if it's not like a control landmark, like, you know, like I'm talking, I'm talking like uh, if you know a zillion control deck, yeah, won't care about this. But any any landmark deck, especially Malphite, uh, you know, Talia, maybe zillion, maybe um, <coughs> excuse me, maybe like a Lysandra with uh, Frozen Thralls or something. I don't know. But the bottom line is, like, Earth Elemental can consistently come down and, like, turn six, five, six, seven as a four-mana, six, five Overwhelm. That's That'll close out some games, man. So, uh, not, not by himself, but, like, you know, think of the mana you're saving to get that value of stats and the ability to push damage through on a small defender. Like, I think Earth Elemental is a really good card. Yeah, I mean, this set gave us some, or maybe just a really well, de maybe just a really well designed card. Like, it's a really good card in its thing. Like, you know, you, I feel like we do have to like quantify. Like, just because we say something's, we have to say, we can't just say something's really good. We have to say this is really good in X. You know, uh -huh. and there are cards where we can say this is just blanket good. Like the, uh, what was it the the one mana burst predict my scrying sands? Yeah, that card's just good. Yep. This card is really good. In the decks that that can play it, you know, when this card is in a deck, if this card is main decked, it's gonna be a beast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's gonna be hard to deal with. There's not a lot of payoffs for playing in the four plus landmark category that we've seen outside of Talia, and this set is giving us a couple of more uh, payoffs for playing a lot of landmarks, and so that's good. Yeah, and you know, it's not just uh, a play a factor and on summon like if he's already on the board and you play your fourth landmark he powers up mm -hmm. like that's oh, a yeah. really important thing to consider like you know you don't have to wait until you know you play four man landmarks and then oh i can finally play earth elements no you can play him down just for lack of something better to do and then you know finish off his little mini quest uh, in the next turn so absolutely yeah, really like earth elemental yeah Blue Sentinel is maybe one of the most interesting cards of this set for me. A two-mana 2-3, two, which we've talked several times how 2-3 uh, for two great stats. Last Breath, summon a Crest of Insight. Crest of Insight is a two-mana landmark with Countdown 1. After Countdown 1, you get an extra mana gem this round. So it is a temporary boost in mana on a solid body that's going to summon a landmark and further your landmark strategy. I don't see anything bad about this. This seems like a... A win, 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 win to me gets a stronger landmark out early. Uh, the turn after it dies, likely, or maybe you know it dies the same turn it goes down, and get your Earth Elemental out a turn early, um, and is also you know furthering the. It, it's a creature that has a landmark attached to it. Uh, I I don't see anything bad about Blue Sentinel, and for me, it might be a state uh, like a, a Targon staple. Like, does this just replace Mountain Goat? I think that's just like the two drop staple in Targon. Like if you must go to Targon to find your two drop, it's typically Mountain Goat. This card just seems like I would almost always play it over Mountain Goat unless I was playing a really aggressive Targon list, which you typically are not. 
Well, it just means that there's a choice now, right? Like mm-hmm. Mountain Goat, you know, Mountain Goat admittedly is a card that I'm willing to say, like, I gave a lot of flack to at one point. Um, and I was wrong. You know, I was, but I was wrong for the reason of Lee Sin exists. Uh, TK Soraka exists. Like, sometimes it's okay to have a, a just a heal plus one attack thing. But like Targon wasn't, really played outside of those roles like and so like targon the decks that targon were had were strong in mountain goat was in because it fit the strategies and in those decks it was a powerhouse like there's always an argument that like mountain goat should go in but it also had the most like the ideal stats uh at three two i i would argue in this game three two is better than two three uh there's a slight edge uh for two three in aggressive situations because it'll live against more things obviously it won't push as much damage but you know in an aggressive deck especially one that wants to go wide you would prefer something to live after the first trade and get to swing again even if then then gets traded into um but a three two is more flexible stat line that you can push damage if it goes unblocked but you can also block more things and mountain goats three two stat line is is the most important thing about that unit to be completely honest with you it's not really about the gems unless you're playing Lee Sen, Zoe, or uh, um, what did I say before? Lee Sen, Zoe, or... Fizz, you were thinking of Fizz. No, no I wasn't thinking of Fizz. <laughs> Bro, yes. uh, I, I'm blanking right now on the on the third uh, uh, deck from Targon that I just said a second ago. But the point is, Blue Sentinel is a really strong argument in other Targon decks that don't want spells or uh-huh. healing. Oh, TK Soraka, that's what it was. Yeah, okay, um, TK Soraka. And Blue Sentinel is just a there's it's such a great candidate for that because of its ability to be more a little bit more tempo heavy, right? It's not stocking things for later. It's saying I can get something fast, something big out faster than you. I mean, the the benefit of having an extra mana gem is in the ability to overcurve, right? Like you can just pop something down ahead of curve and be like, boom, now what do you do about this earth elemental on three? Mm-hmm. You know? It's a three five on three. Like, and of course, with overwhelm. And of course, like Crescent of Insight, a Crest of Insight also contributes to the number of landmarks you've played this game. Uh, It's another thing for maybe Talia to uh, level faster. Earth Elemental gets triggered faster. It's two mana towards landmarks for Malphite, which we're about to touch on. So, like, it checks all the boxes and really it just gives Targon a choice in that that role. So, Mm -hmm. I'm all about it. I really like Blue Sentinel. It also has some of the some really cool card art that I love. It just yes. looks really cool. I want to play it because it looks Which, cool. So I don't know if you know this or not, but Blue Sentinel is one of the two main jungle camps in League of Legends. So when you play and you play jungle, there is red buff and blue buff, and blue buff mm-hmm. is one of like the, the one of the two jungle camps that you would typically start on. And so a very iconic mm. monster in the jungle for League of Legends as well. So it was cool well, to see it in really, this game. That's really cool too. I will say, you know what's really neat and fun is that Chip, you know, the 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 mm-hmm. card that's caught the uh, LOR community by storm and has become everyone's new favorite thing yeah. uh, because he's a good boy. Uh, Chip uh, has a bunch of unique uh, uh, flavor text or, or uh, um, audio interactions oh, really? with all of these other rock monsters oh that's very and so, cool and and it's like he's narrating for these big beefy rock monsters that don't say anything he's like saying hi to them and hyping them up it's so cute it's so cute it's worth playing just for that 
That is really cool. That is really cool. Um, are you ready to talk Malphite, man? Let's talk Malphite. Okay, Malphite's a big boy here, guys, and it's going to take me a half a breath to get through all the things that are oriented around Malphite. Malphite is a 7-mana 6-10 cha champion from Targon. He has Tough as a 6-10, and he has Level Up when you summoned 12-plus mana of Landmarks. Then he has his leveled up form is a seven mana, a seven eleven, so what you would expect with tough. And then when I uh, when I'm summoned or level up or round start, if you have the attack token, so in other words, play him, level him up, or on your turn when you get the attack token or you rally, um, create an unstoppable force in hand. I guess it's not when you rally; it's just at round start. So the only way it would be. There is if you had a leveled up Garen on board, he would get this. Um, and that would be Unstoppable Force, a two-mana slow fleeting spell that simply reads, stun all enemies. Stun all yep. of them. And with it, we have Ground Slam, or Malphite's Ground Slam, which is his champion spell, is a four-mana slow spell that reads, stun a unit and deal it's three... Fast. Oh, it's fast. I'm sorry. Fast, not slow. Yeah, that would, mm. it would be terrible if it was slow. Uh, four mana, fast spell. Stun a unit. Deal three to it. If you've summoned a landmark this game, which, of course, is not that four-plus landmark. So as long as you just summoned one landmark, this is stun a unit and deal three damage to it. Um, uh, there is a good bit to discuss here. Uh, DBN, I'll let you go first, and then I have some I have some fairly strong thoughts about Malphite. Um, yeah, so... I saw some play, some Malphite play uh, today. When leveled, he blew out games, but he wasn't being played into things with removal. Mm -hmm. So this is where what we talked about the, at the top of the episode came in, which is like, was it good because it wasn't playing meta? And I think that that is the case. Um, getting him down on turn seven, he, he's a good closer. There's no doubt, but there's just a lot of answers to him. And unstoppable force is really strong if it goes through, but it's it's slow speed, and there's more uh, there's more you know negation out there than ever. So in this meta, I think he's gonna have a hard time establishing himself. I I could be wrong though, like, and I'm willing to be wrong on that because like you never know with board centric decks which ones take off and in what combinations because you can't figure you can't perfectly figure out what the best like region pairings are for these things until they pop up like we want to say oh it's targon Shrima. but if there's enough you know uh, landmarks with targon and something else that's not Shrima to consistently hit on your support things like the uh, earth elemental we're about to talk about Stonebreaker. you know like i think that it's 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 quite possible really uh, that malphite is, is strong enough and if that faction has a way to protect malphite and ensure that it's it's you know oppressive attacking power for your board uh, can go through, then it's going to be great. I'm just not convinced that that's going to get figured out anytime soon. Um, nonetheless, it's a super cool card. It's very, very uh, intimidating to play against. So even if it can be countered, there's certainly the factor of like, you have to immediately scramble and shift your plans to account for Malphite. Okay, so my thoughts, yeah, and I, I agree. I agree with everything that you said. You're gonna, you're, I think you're gonna find that my thoughts are almost the same as yours. Um, so ground slam. Uh, my initial thought was, yeah, this is fine, but there's better ways to stun, especially now. 
Um, even in Targan, there's better ways to stun than this. And um, sure, deal three damage is something good. If you're stunning it, you typically have it out of the way. So you don't, rarely do you want to stun and kill something. Um, yeah, so... but Ground Slam is actually the card I think that's okay. Well, I like, think it's better than Malphite, but... Well, and Targon doesn't have much that deals damage. So like... True. That's pretty relevant. Plus, it the way I think about this, honestly, is... Stun a unit or deal three damage to it, whichever is more important at the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. Well, let me uh, let me go back to Malphite real quick. So Malphite. Yeah. Please do. Uh, please do. My, my, my thought just is this, right? He doesn't have spell shield. He doesn't have overwhelm. Um. Yeah. Unstoppable force is really strong if you can get it off. But there are multiple ways to be able to counter unstoppable force. And if you're playing a deck that wants to play a lot of landmarks, you might not have a lot of creatures on the board and let's say you do stun everything well you played it at slow speed so your opponent can still respond by playing a creature in chump block malphite and guess what malphite does no damage against a spider um he just punches the spider really really hard like a mountain that punches <laughs> spiders he's a spider punching mountain and that's a mm. problem that that's a problem there's just not a lot that you can do with Malphite to actually close out the game if your opponent can just throw down a chump blocker. Now, if you're playing a deck with Targon that's going to flood the board, that's that's arguably a different story. But when I looked at Malphite, I'm like, okay, I want to play a lot of landmarks to build up to him. I'm doing a lot of that synergy. I probably, this is probably my way I'm closing out the game. And then he also doesn't have spell shield. So without overwhelm, without, if he, if he leveled up and got overwhelm, I might be more into it. Um, but he doesn't. And so uh, I think Malphite is the weakest of the three champions that we're seeing. I can see why people will experiment with him. He's a big boy. His card art is incredible. He looks really cool. Um, he is a new and different way to play Targon than what we have played Tar Targon. And I think mm -hmm. that's great. I love that. I, I, I am all about a new and creative way to play Targon. Um, but beyond that, I'm like, eh, like it's, it, it just seems, it just seems so vulnerable to so many things and i don't like getting in the habit of well this card sucks because this card exists well yes sometimes that's true but a lot of times cards rotate in and out of the meta and things get changed but malphite is bad against a lot of things there is a lot of removal that can deal with him um you know you have a multitude of just direct removal um, sitting in uh, in Shadow Isles. You have Detains sitting in Demacia. You have Kill Off a Damaged Unit sitting in uh, Noxus. Uh, you have yep. uh, Bounce Back in Ionia. You have um, you have straight up Obliterate a lot of stuff in, in uh, Targon. I mean, outside of Sharima, and maybe you could make an argument for Demacia because they don't run a lot of detaining stuff, you know, capturing stuff uh, right yeah. now. Yeah. There's not a, you know, everything has an answer to this. And that, that, I just don't think it's great because of that. I think that it, I think that this card may find the most, like in a deck that is useful, I feel like Malphite will serve the role of deal with me now or suffer the consequences. Either way, I'm hoping that you, obviously I'm hoping you can't deal with them. But if you can, what I have set up before playing Malphite is still enough to finish the game because you were forced to deal with Malphite. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, cause all of those things that you mentioned are totally valid. And, and a, the weakness of this guy without spell shield or overwhelm, um, you know, he can go and just get chump blocked, takes two damage, 
you know, is now injured and now they can execute him with uh, guillotine or scorched earth or whatever. Um, but if they are doing that, what are they not doing about the rest of your board? And I think that that is just playing devil's advocate here. That might be how Malphite sees play is as a kind of like how Braum comes out and everyone just kind of goes, okay, crap. Let's I deal with the Braum problem and then get back to actually beating the deck. Right. Mm -hmm. Same with Fiora. Yeah, I like, think okay, we gotta figure out how to beat Fiora and then we can figure out how to beat the deck. And then yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's what Malphite is gonna serve, but just a lot harder to deal with because he's got a mountain of health. Um and tough. so it's just gonna be and tough, right? So um interesting card and don't and that's the other thing too. Unstoppable force is still pretty darn intimidating. You know, you if you have three or four you know, four three or four units on the board and you stun all of their things, they can play one more thing. And they only have one blocker. Mm -hmm. So they have to be able to deal, you know, deal with the big unit that is Malphite, which obviously isn't threatening lethal if you have any sorts of blockers. But you also, more importantly, have to deal with the unstoppable force that makes the the attack token so, so scary. Um, so you have to deal with them before they can start using that because you probably can't survive more than one or two unstoppable force stuns. Um, yeah, interesting. Again, I think that you and I are on the same page where it might come into play eventually, but that it's probably the face value weakest. Yeah, I, I totally at, at face taken at that. face value, you know. So, but I, I hope I'm wrong because I love board centric decks. I also love uh, giant rock monsters. So, you know, sure. <laughs> uh, we talked about ground slam already. Let's go to Stonebreaker because if anything, I feel like this is the card more than anything that props up the. Uh, uh, the archetype in Targon. Yeah, potentially. Six mana, six four. Play as a skill. Uh, if you've summoned four plus landmarks this game, deal four to an enemy and two to the enemy Nexus. Um, it's direct damage removal for Noxus, which, or I'm sorry, for, uh, for Targon, Targon, which they don't have a lot of. Um, and that is cool. I, I always feel like four plus landmarks is daunting if you're not going to be playing this with Sharima, is my thing. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. so you're going to Sharima. Blue Sentinel helps with it, though. Blue Sentinel does help, yes. But you're like there, but there is more help. There's a lot more help to be able to do this reliably on turn six found in Sharima. So I think this card... Oh, yeah, no doubt. I think this card finds, potentially finds a spot if Targon Sharima sort of becomes a thing. And we do see... I still, I don't even think Malphite sees play in that, to be honest with you. Like, I don't think Talia Malphite is a deck. I, you think it's more like Zillion Talia? Uh, it could be Zillion Talia. I could see... I could honestly see the potential of... Well, Zillion... Yeah, probably Zillion Talia. There, there could be an argue for, like, um, for Talia into... Um, uh, into even Aurelian Soul, um, just to like Talia to mm. run the game with landmarks and stuff in the beginning, and Aurelian Soul to sort of help you close out the game. Um, maybe there's maybe there's an argument there. Um, maybe I was not. Also thinking as well. like, I was just thinking like I don't know like you can pair Zoe with almost anything. Let's be honest. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Zoe Zoe would go well in it too. Um, so, but yeah, Stonebreaker. Okay. Um, I'm I'm not convinced of it because of the play four play four plus landmarks is, is a daunting task. It's it, not small. it's easy if you're committed to it. I'll just tell you for playing a lot of Talia, it's easier than you think. There there was plenty of games where I didn't lose the game, uh, and I had played uh, four landmarks by the time Talia came down on five, and I could clone one and make that the fifth landmark. 
it's a lot easier than you think. Rockhopper, Ancient Machinations, and Preservarium are all pretty affordable, and they're all really good. Now, that's the issue, though. That's all Shirima. All Shirima, yeah. So this is definitely a card that, and we just talked about the kind of how these Targon landmarks are a little bit weaker. Now, you do have the Crest of Insight from the Blue Sentinel, but still, this card's going to be a lot weaker if you're not running Rockhopper's. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yes. It uh, is. Or or running or running frozen thralls. Uh, that actually is is kind of valid. Like Lysandra will summon a copy, and then frozen thralls are all one mana, so they're a lot easier to slot in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course, they're taking up your board slot for a long time. I, I think it's best with Sharima. But the weakness of this, as you've expressed, is you have to play four landmarks, which locks you into like it's not a wide ranging usefulness character mm -hmm. for Targon. It's a specific archetypes but i mean i gotta i gotta say like a a six four unit that will deal four to an enemy and two to the enemy nexus that is so good like the effect oh yeah if you is do so it. good and i think i think in a deck build around just from my experience i think it'll be pretty easy to get consistently by six to get four landmarks and i think that because of the landmark strength in some of these other ones whether it's with time bombs whether it's with uh, ancient machinations which is so good because it summons blockers i think that this that this is doable and you know being able to snipe um you know a champion on the back line with stonebreaker is going to be huge yeah yeah i i i i will see if it convinces me I'm not convinced okay. now, but I'll see if it convinces me once it's released. And it's something that I'm definitely willing to experiment with, but I'm not 100% convinced on Stonebreaker yet. Um, hesitant. However, there are a couple cards that I'm pretty stinking convinced of. And one of those mm -hmm. just happens to be Solari Sunhawk. Um, My which God. Is a two mana, two, three, Daybreak, stun the strongest enemy. I saw this card and I was like, are you kidding? I was so surprised by this card. This I was so surprised to see this. Really, this is like one of the best tools in the Daybreak kit. I mean, is it the best it, tool in the Daybreak kit outside of Leona herself? Uh, I would argue this is better than Leona. I, I would really legitimately strong. argue you can play this in so many decks. This is so playable in so many different decks. It's got great stats. It stuns the strongest enemy. So uh, it's actually not even targeted. So I think it goes through Spell Shield, I think. Uh, I believe that um, Dave, I don't think so because uh, I don't believe that because it's, it's not instant speed. Uh, because Daybreak means it's targeted. It, it doesn't say skill because it says Daybreak because the same is true of Leona, um, but she mm. gets a skill that goes out that stuns the strongest enemy. You're right. Well. You're right. It has a skill on it. Mm -hmm. I see that now underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, though. Uh. Yeah, it's really, really stupid strong. I'm I'm blown away. And, you know, the thing is, is that, like, Daybreak now has two two-drops of Daybreak. So, like, holy crap, consistency on curve is, is nuts. You're going to get yes. Leona leveled on four so much more consistently. I mean, and, and, and with Leona, if you play this with a, uh, with a Leona already on board uh, and, and leveled, you drop Solari Sunhawk and immediately stun their two strongest things. It's so stupid. I saw it happen a couple times on stream. Uh, whether you're playing this with like Leona and Asol and are just stalling for Asol, whether you're playing this with Yasuo and are trying to chop people down, like this is going to be in the environment for a long time. I think I, I I'm 
stunned that they I mean, printed it. Honestly, uh, even I'm even thinking like you know you get leveled up Leona on board and then you get this down. Um, you stun two things. Um, if you have your your your, I mean, if you have your daybreak daybreak package right, and so you're looking and you're you're coming towards turn six Getting or Robin seven. And... Uh, yeah, so you get Robin, you get this on the board, you stun two things, and then you play uh, Leona's spell. Um, that triggers all of your daybreaks, and then you stun three more things. So you stun five things um, because, well, if you play, yes, if you, you play do. Leona's yeah, you spell, do. you're right. Yeah, so if you play Leona's spell, she stuns two things if she's leveled up, and then it would trigger this as well. So you would you would play this stun stun because of Leona and this, and then you would play her spell, give your whole board plus two, and stun three more things. So on turn seven, you could theoretically give mm -hmm. your entire board plus two plus two and stun five things with two cards that could very easily be in your deck. Yeah, it's... it's Yep. Yeah. Uh, this card is really crazy. I mean, you're happy to play this on two. You're also oftentimes happy to play this on turn 13. It's a very <laughs> solid top deck. It's a very solid top deck. Um, so that's Solari Sunhawk, and all I want to say is uh, Leona players rejoice, Yasuo players rejoice, and I'm going to be uh, alt-tabbing out of a lot of Yasuo games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably uh, It's so funny. I, I started off as like the biggest Yasuo fan, and I still like the character like design. I like the character himself. I just don't like... I, I don't like him. what it does when Yasuo's good. I, I think when Yasuo's not strong in the meta, it's fun to play Yasuo. But when Yasuo's in the meta, people tend to like not have a fun time and and to typically like don't enjoy the game. Mm -hmm. It's a very unfun way to lose. And even when you win, you feel like you just didn't get to do anything all game. Uh, so a little worried about that. Time will tell. Uh, but this landmark isn't likely to help with that because, you know, it's yet another stun package. And, you know, it's expensive, but if you play, if you can spend the man, if you have the time to play it, it is awful. Yeah, I of in Raha, a good way. I of Raharak, five mana landmark, countdown, one, stun the two weakest enemies. Daybreak, summon a copy of me with countdown two. So, you know, stun two, stun two. Um, mm -hmm. If you have a way to count this down quicker, it will do, uh, you know, count. You could, you could stun four things in a turn if you have a way to count the the, the Eye of Raharaks down. Um, probably you don't even care about that. You just want to get them on the board. For me, I saw, okay, this is even more redundancy. You know, you have uh, the Daylight Spear um, on five. You also have Eye of Raharak. This is probably not a three of. This is probably a one. Maybe it's a two of. But it's probably not a three of. It's probably seeing play in Leone Yasuo. And I am, you know, it, 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 to me, it's like a no-brainer, right? I mean, it almost levels up Yasuo on its own. I mean, all, mm -hmm. almost entirely by itself, it levels up Yasuo. And allows you to apply a tremendous amount of pressure in the game. Because if you have Leona stunning the strongest thing, you have this thing stunning the weakest things. You know, what are you, what are you even well, really and blocking with? Well, and the weakest things are great because that means that they're more likely for Yasuo to be able to kill. And the fact that this goes off at the beginning of the term, turn, it should not be underrated how devastating that is to decks that want to open swing. Oh, yeah. Like, you never get to open swing again if this is on the board. Like, 
buys you so much if, time. Yeah, it, it is so potent in that regard. Now, obviously, you'll get punished pretty hard by landmark removal. So, like, if this ever becomes super mainstream, expect to see Scorched Earths really punish this play. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, but no, I, I think that this is a... But does I, I'm willing to say this is good, but I think that it's not going to be the... I, I don't think... I don't feel like we're going to see decks playing three copies. This will be, like, the one, two copy thing that'll... Yeah help close a game out in many ways it's actually kind of a finisher uh <laughs> but um but i think that uh overall it's an interesting inclusion more stun is always running that risk like i said of being unfun but i think that this is an interestingly designed enough to at least for now interest me but think about it, it has built in landmark destruction protection in the fact that it summons a second copy of itself so you're saying okay yeah go ahead and, go ahead and remove one you're not removing yeah. both. It, yeah, it has, you daybreak it, with it. Yeah, if you daybreak with it, which you almost certainly are going to do, um, you're you're going to get two copies of it, and it's almost saying like, okay, yeah, go ahead, go ahead and remove one. You, I mean, what do you? You, mm -hmm. you probably don't have enough removal to remove two of them, and so that's why I think it's just kind of yeah, it'll get a little bit punished, but not nearly as punished as many other landmarks in the five and up cost zone that just gets absolutely wrecked by one three mana card. This is saying, yeah, you have well, to have two of them. I'm at least going to get something. It's only slow on the turn you play it. Mm -hmm. It's not slow over the next two or three turns, which was always the issue with like the Nox Cry Arena with Vaults of Helia. They're so slow for the next like three turns before you really start getting value out of it. And this, you don't have to build around. You just no. so you slot it in. You don't build around it. Like with Vaults and Nox Cry, you had to build around it. Yep. That's why they're so bad. This this is appropriately priced, if you ask me, and I'm really interested to see where it goes. Um, Shadows of the Past. Uh, if I can, I, can we skip this one? I, I just don't feel like it's worth talking about, which is so funny because there's like some debate about it in our Discord. But like, it's it's pretty obvious what it does. There's some interesting synergies and stuff in the future. So I feel like we can just come back and mention it when we're talking about the other stuff. Yeah, I'm just going to say five mana fast spell. Recall each ally, summon a living shadow in its pace in case you haven't seen it yet. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. Pro Profiteer, four mana, five, three Sharima. Uh, when I'm summoned, create a lucky find in hand. I, I haven't played around with lucky finds. My comments on stream about this was I haven't really played around with lucky finds. So I don't know if this is good or not. I don't think it's great. But it, it might not be terrible. It might be okay. Well, I actually think that it's pretty interesting uh, because of the ability to use it uh, as a reputation uh, bonus. Okay, yeah. And fair. then turning those, you know, because it can trigger reputation as a four-cost unit. The thing is, is that it competes with Sivir and the four-drop slot. If you want more four-drops, this is a great one to include. Before, you were kind of locked into Pekai Sand Spinner, uh, which is a great card. But a lucky find will help protect uh, your other units. I'm definitely considering trying this out instead of Bakai Sand Spinner in my Rose Buddies list that uh, that Gibby and I built. Um, and uh, I, I think this is actually going as an underrated card right now. I'm really excited because Lucky Find, while semi-random, Lucky Find itself is free. So, you know, you, you play it, you get the 5-3 you're hopefully using this in, in conjunction with some reputation stuff. Uh, but even if you're not, you have this card in your hand, which can give a range of all useful effects. Um, 
that uh, you can put on something that you really want to protect. So I, I actually really like Profiteer. Yeah, you know what? I looked at first and I thought this isn't flashy, and it really isn't, but it is a good card. I, I am looking at it and think thinking so. just about the versatility that it gives you, and it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Dancing Droplet, Merciless. One oh. oh, you want to go to Merciless Hunter first? I want to go to Merciless because Dancing Droplet's complex. Okay, okay, fair. Merciless Hunter's not. It's a three mana, four three from Sharima with Fearsome and play Grant and Enemy Vulnerable. Uh, is this card crazy? Is this card the best three drop in Sharima? Is it the best like it three is. drop in the game? Oh, good question. Let's take a look. I three think cost. it's the best three drop in the game. Hmm, if you're not counting champions, and maybe even if you are, uh, it's better than a lot of three drop scanning. champions. I mean, I I think you could argue this is better than most three drop champions. You could almost argue this is better than Callista. Um, hold on, almost through. Yeah, I uh, I just uh, I can't believe this card got printed. I like this this. Yep, card, best three drop in the game. This card is mind blowing to me. I, uh, I, I this was, card would I was, be strong if it didn't have fearsome. It absolutely would be. I I was staggered when I saw this card. I was like, what is this? Shreema pushed. Bonkers. <laughs> Shreema's getting pushed. Yeah, I mean, quite literally, like just looking through, like there's some cards that are going to be um, really strong. These three drops that are really strong in very specific play styles, but uh, nothing as just wide, widely applicably good as Merciless Hunter. My goodness. I seriously, uh, this is a card that, like, this and Sunhawk blew my mind. Like th that group, this grouping that they that they previewed, blew my mind. And I, the thing is, is like I was like, oh man, Profiteer. Like that's I feel like that's why Profiteer nobody like gave two two looks at because those other two cards were in the uh, in the little set yeah. that they previewed. I don't know. I mean, there's really not much to talk about about this besides like you're gonna see a lot of it, guys. Get used to your champions getting killed. Yeah, constantly. Yeah, your your three mana champions, are, and maybe that's intentional. You know, there's a lot of three mana champions that are extremely powerful and are like looking to maybe get even more powerful with uh, Aurelia uh, in the game. Maybe this is them trying to. Maybe this is the dev saying, "Hey, let's give the new faction a way to deal with these low cost champions, and maybe people will start playing four, five, six cost, maybe even a you know seven cost Malphite." I don't know. <laughs> That's just a thought I had is like, why did, why something so strong was printed and the motivations behind it to me Sorry. are pushing Sharima, enabling Renekton and, uh, I just, yeah. Um, maybe trying to challenge the, you know, let's be honest, dominance of three mana champions. There, there's just, there's literally not a single downside. The, the the vulnerable doesn't go to a specific location. You get to pick and choose wherever it is that you want to send it to. It's permanent. It's permanent. It's not temporary. It's grant. This thing has fearsome. <laughs> compared, to, compared to hired gun. It has above average stats. I, 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 
Yeah, uh, yeah, I just, I, yeah, I mean, literally, yeah, hired gun is a two mana, two, three that grants the weakest or the strongest enemy vulnerable. Strongest. The strongest enemy vulnerable, and it has no other keywords. This thing is one mana more for two more attack, and you get to pick what the vulnerable goes to, and you get and fearsome. fearsome. I, yep. I just, I just can't. It's my this card is mind boggling to me, and I I don't I don't even need to talk about it anymore. This is yeah. the this is the first card that has come out in from the devs so far that I've genuinely said I'm not a hundred percent sure where your head was at, but this had better work out. <laughs> well, you know what it is. This is like I've been really resisting the urge to scream power creep. This is that's I mean, but this this feels like power creep, man. I mean, uh, how could it feel like anything else? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Solari Sunhawk feels that way too, to be honest. But uh, <laughs> anyways, yes. let's let's hit Dancing Droplet because I think Dancing Droplet is something that, like, maybe not uh, competitive, uh, like ultra competitive players, but like enthusiasts of the game and just people who love the game have been like raving about mm -hmm. because of its uh, interestingness. And the ability for it to take the universally reviled recall mechanic and potentially give it something to play for. Something yeah, to live for, really. <laughs> uh, Dancing Droplet, one mana, one, one in Ionia, obviously. It has Elusive and it has a tune. Haven't seen a lot of a tune around lately, but this one has it. When I am recalled, draw a card. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is getting pretty interesting. Um, I do want to say like there was, this came out and was previewed and everybody was sitting here like, Oh man, what do you, what can you play with this? Are there some cool things you can do? They were looking at all the recall packages. And I think that like people were all over the place, at least in our discord where I was watching and on Twitter, um, they were looking at all the things that can recall and they're like, Hmm, well, like, what do we like? What is the thing that we use with this? Obviously, it gives you a great payoff, but like, is it worth the payoff? The best thing I saw was like using retreat, uh, return and being able to like play the dancing droplet, uh, on one retreat return on two to draw a card and then play because of the attune, mm -hmm. uh, play out a three drop ahead of curve like Zed. Yeah, um, saw that, which seems pretty impressive and pretty cool albeit one that can be disrupted and does admittedly rely on some you know lucky draws but uh that's pretty interesting but then and this is where i kind of want to tie it into the, the cards we saw uh over the last two days um we, there's a couple more recall related stuff or one more really powerful actually recall card that got previewed in the aurelia package so obviously recall has been pretty bad but it's exactly what we said Recall needed a payoff, something that did something that you couldn't do otherwise with a recall. Do you feel like this checks that box? Well, the first thing that my brain went was actually the Ionian landmark that creates a one-mana recall in hand every turn. The Monastery of Hirana. The Monastery, because that means that this card is a one-mana, one-one elusive that you can return to your hand every turn to draw one. Um, because it creates, it, it's just one mana. It's basically one mana draw one every turn. Because you play this, it creates the attune. You get the spell mana to be able to play the thing that your mm -hmm. monastery summons. And it's just like a way to cycle through your deck every single turn. One mana, one, one, draw one. It could be one mana, ping for one, and then draw one. Or one mana, 
put it in front and get a free block to block any amount of damage as long as they don't have overwhelm and then draw one. Um, I think that that is that little interaction is interesting. And I was like, okay, that's the first payoff that I saw for that landmark. That's actually where my mind went at first. Um, but I, I definitely, this is the type of thing that, that recall needed. And, uh, it definitely pushes recall. This is a really interesting card. Yeah. I mean, I still think that the weakness of it is just simply like the recall cards are a little bit weak. Obviously homecoming gets a little more interesting with this mm -hmm. card in play. Um, I think that, uh, just in general, like if it's just by itself, um lulu is one that i've heard talked about i mean you get a one mana elusive um that's exactly what lulu wants and mm -hmm. plus it has the upside of a tune to feed uh getting some spells down early uh so i i think that this is a really good card for ionia specifically to play into aggressive strategies um and speaking of aggressive strategies i think we should just kind of fuse these two yeah, the last two ones together yeah yeah i agree I agree. Because Ionia has been, I think, I think, my opinion, Ionia's revived by this set. Like, new life has been breathed into this, this struggling, dying corpse uh, of a faction. And I know I'm being dramatic, but it's it's intentional. I mean, Lee Sin can only go so far before <laughs> you say, like, hey, just because Lee Sin's good doesn't mean the faction's good. Yeah, and, uh, I really, I want to believe, and from what I saw today, I think Aurelia is going to do it. I think Aurelia is going to take Ionia to a whole new heights and be a more interesting, at least until we get sick of it, way to play. Okay, so let's start off by talking about Blade Dance because that's the interesting mechanic in this. So Blade Dance is, it literally is going to summon a certain amount of blades, which are one mana, one, one creatures. And do they have ephemeral as well? I cannot remember. They do not have ephemeral. More interestingly, actually, than that, they have the text that say, when I leave combat, obliterate me. So that means if it gets recalled, it doesn't go to your hand, it gets obliterated. Uh, if it were to, uh, if it hits, it gets obliterated. If something fizzles a block, instead of going back to your bench, like an ephemeral sand soldier, it gets obliterated. Like it just in any time it's not in combat, no matter how that happens, it gets obliterated. Okay. So basically what's going to happen is every time you blade dance, you're going to summon a certain amount of blades that are equal and they are going to get a free attack. So you're just going to be, you're just going to attack with them right away. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's a free one. So it's not going to take your attack token, which is really interesting, obviously for a whole wide range of things. Um, but certainly is very interesting for things like Quinn and, and MF that want to see you attack a certain amount of times. Mm -hmm. That's where my brain went at first, but I'm kind of curious because you saw this deck played a lot more and I was kind of like, okay, well, sure, Blades hit anything that's tough, hit anything that has regen, hit anything really, and it doesn't matter. So if it's not being played to get more attacks in, what's the point of it? But you're saying that you there is something more there that I'm not seeing because I'm not seeing it. Okay. It comes down to a few things. Uh, the first thing is a lot of these blade dance things are generating attacks. Okay. And when you generate an attack, it instantly happens. A lot of these can be done on the opponent's turn. Right. In fact, okay. blade dance in general doesn't care whose turn it is. So like in the middle of your opponent's turn, you can all of a sudden prompt an attack with three units or two units, you know, attacking. Now they're just one, one. So yeah, yeah, yeah. You might say like, ah, they can just, they can just jump block. 
first off, over time, chump blocking one ones are gonna is gonna whittle down your board. And more mm. importantly, when you're playing units that uh, that will stick on board and they're generating these blade dance, you're losing absolutely no no board state from them trading into your one ones. It's not like it's kind of like sand soldiers in that respect. Like you don't care that they die, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're they're they were nothing they mean nothing to you these sand soldiers mean nothing the zero means something the emperor's dais means something but but the soldiers themselves if anything it doesn't matter if they hit face or if they trade or get blocked and value traded it doesn't matter you're whittling down it's kind of an attrition war right so you have the that situation here with these uh with these cards like ribbon dancer two mana two one blade dance one right so like you play it, you have a two mana two one that'll just stick around on the board, but you instantly throw an attack with uh, one one blade on it, right? Uh huh. You trigger these attacks, and it benefits things obviously, like you mentioned, like uh, MF. Uh, uh-huh. But uh, Zir is absolutely like deadly with these things because oh, because it's true. considered an attack. A sand soldier gets summoned, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you also have some of these older. Ionia cards that haven't really been in the environment in forever, but all of a sudden they're given new life when you're summoning a ton of units. That's right. These count as summons. They may not count as deaths or anything like that, but they are summoned creatures. So uh, if you take a look at your Ionia one drops, you'll see a a particularly potent, uh, (laughs) a particularly potent guy. Uh, And that is, and I'm, I'm actually digging through it right now. I'm trying to sort my, uh, Sort my thing so I can see it. Uh, it's the the student, I believe, is what yeah, it's called. One, sparring student. Sparring student. Yeah. One mana, one one. Whenever you summon an ally, give me plus one plus one this round. I saw this guy get up to a six six on turn three. Oh yikes! Yep, that happened. Additionally, Green Glade Duo. Whenever you summon an ally, give me plus one for this round, and it's elusive. Very, I've seen this guy get up strong. to five or six. Swing in get huge amounts of damage with elusive. So you've got these built-in cards that we have like really never seen play in. And all of a sudden they're not just like relevant. They're like powerhouses when you are feeding them with these cheap things that don't matter. Um, Blade dance in general, obviously if you have ways to buff them, I'd seen some people playing it with jagged taskmaster in uh Bilgewater. So running it with MF and running jagged taskmaster to buff them for the rest of the game because they're one cost units. Uh-huh. Obviously, I think Azir is the clearest cut, like ob- most oh, obvious sure. one, and the one Azir that I saw dominate the this. most. Yeah, Azir definitely loves this. I saw this in Piltover and Zaun using iterative experiments to make sure you're able to consistently trigger more and more blade dances. So if you only get one or two blade dances, you can have those as iterative basically uh you know repeated ways to trigger your blade dances then of course it has some of those great uh elusive units in there um and uh and then i also saw it in uh noxus weirdly as a uh new instead of discard aggro it's blade dance aggro like just all out burn you know blitzy Mm -hmm. uh blitzy styles so let me and it was pretty impactful there Let's just go through a couple of the cards that do have Blade Dance, because I think it's important. You have the 2-mana 2-1 Blade Dance 1. You have the 4-mana 3-3 Play Blade Dance 2. You have an 8-mana 3-5 with Elusive that reads, When you Blade Dance, I attack with the Blades. Um, And then also with Play Blade Dance 1. So this is like an 8-mana 3-5 Elusive that immediately attacks 
along with a blade, and then every time you blade dance, also attacks as a 3-5 with elusive. And then in addition to that, you do have, well, we, we should talk, should we just talk about, well, let's not talk about, uh, we'll go over I really here in a second, but like, those are, and then, and then you have the Coastal Defender, which is a four mana 2-6, which is very difficult to get rid of. Um, when you summon an ally, give it plus two plus zero this round, which in combination with both Azir and Blade Dance is mm-hmm. pretty crazy. I mean, plus yeah. two plus zero when you summon something, like hit this and then and drop a the, Blade Dance? Ugh. It's the exact same text as Inspiring Marshall. So if you want to run both of them. Yep. And you can run one or four, Marshall, one or five. Three, five for five? Uh, four, six for five. Four, six for five. So yeah. one more mana. Yeah. And I mean, that means that then you blade dance and all of your blade dances are five ones. Mm-hmm. I've Which seen. Is, uh, with Azir also. Well, if you get them both. Just... But I mean, even just getting your blade dance, if you can get them to be higher than one attack, it's nuts. Like any any game where somebody had an inspiring marshal or was able to buff those past, like, like with Azir, um, like to, you know, mm-hmm. buff them past just one it just started running away with the game. It was absolutely filthy. Like, that's going to be the biggest key to that deck being strong is finding ways to make sure that those 1-1s one are not just 1-1s. One um, mm-hmm. And honestly, the, the tools are there. Like, there's obviously one, like, just within the, the set. Field Musicians was another one that saw some play uh, as oh, yeah. ways because, I, I mean, do that. If, you summon the, uh, if you summon the Blossoming Blade, which is the 4-mana 3-3 three, three Blade Dance 2, you instantly... Uh, get your uh, field musicians proc. Yeah, because it's three units right there. No, no blocks between things. No interaction, and you're already in an attack. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty impressive. Um, honestly, it's gonna need refinement, obviously, because like I think that there is um a lot of things that could go in it that could benefit and finding that balance. But even without like refined lists, this thing was just in just scary. Just really, really scary. Um, so I think, we and should talk I, oh, about... and I also saw, I also saw people playing it with that. This was the other PNZ thing with Professor Von Yip to make them three, three blades. Holy crap, that would be very strong. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's obviously a ton of synergies. I think we should, before we go over, I really herself. Let's go over the other two cards that, sur- that are, are really not in that because they're, they're really sort of very interesting and kind of crazy cards as well. Syncopation. Is mm. that I did I pronounce that right? Syncopation. Yep. Mm-hmm. So a two mana burst spell that says swap two allies. That that seems like an extremely strong card to me. I don't know if you saw it played or not, but that seems yeah. very very strong. I mean, there are it's so nuts. many situations. It's gonna it's gonna hard carry Ionia as a faction. Like just that spell, like that spell alone. That yeah. that spell is nuts. It's nuts. It's it's absolutely nuts. Uh, so. Swapping previously had been relegated pretty much only to Stand United, which is mm-hmm. a six mana card, uh, and therefore because it was a six mana spell, uh, just never really saw it. Play. It was too gimmicky uh, to be worth six mana, right? It gave barrier two, but that doesn't matter. Syncopation is basically like a deny, yeah. Or I mean it. It will completely ruin games until people learn to play around it. And even then, how do you play around it? That's my concern is that there's not going to be enough play around potential for syncopation because at a certain point you have to play your spells. You have to play your buffs. Like you can't, this is the, mo- the one of the most impossible cards to play around in the game. And I'm kind of a little bit worried about it. It is neat and it's going to be fun to play. 
So anytime you, you, you can swap two allies, anytime basically there's an attack going on or there's something on the chain. Um, it really won't do anything for you if you're in the middle of declaring an attack. Mm -hmm. um, but if you are attacking and they sign blockers, you can syncopate and switch to more favorable blocking positions, which is nuts. Yeah, that okay? is crazy. The only time it's not really that good is assigning your own blockers because then you could have just put them there in the first place. But anytime that there is, uh, let's say they try to mystic shot your thing. Okay, you basically do the Naruto slash Dragon Ball Z thing where you switch places with someone else and they take the hit for you. You know, uh, mm -hmm. it's super anime, which obviously Fryonia, I love. Um, but it's also just like super good to be able to say, oh, you were vengeancing my champion? Not anymore. Or to now say, you're vengeancing my spider. Or now you're vengeancing my whatever, one, one, my Poro. <laughs> or to say I it's, blocked and you buffed crazy. your stuff so that you could ensure a, a more favorable trade for yourself. Well, now I can swap and say, well, you're not going to get that favorable trade. Um, because yeah. I can swap my stuff. You know, one of the things, and the craziest part is it can actually swap something that's on your bench. So if you defend, yes. Yes. you have something that's sitting back on your bench, you could swap something out from your bench. And yeah, if they leave front. a one drop of yours unblocked thinking, eh, I'm going to take one damage. And you left your, I don't know, Renekton at home, mm -hmm. switch him. Yep. Now your Renekton is, is smashing the face. The thing is, is like, Ionia has always had like largely pretty bad uh, in combat like tricks. That's like they really haven't had in the game. And this all of a sudden they have a combat trick and it's potent. And it's also counts. It also is like weirdly like pseudo like deny slash spell protection. It, it, this I yo <laughs> syncopation, crazy. the sunburb, and. Uh, Ruthless Predator uh, or whatever. Ruthless. Uh, hunter. Oh God. Merciless wreck, Hunter. Merciless Hunter. And then, of course, the shifting time thing. Uh, scrying Sands. Scrying <laughs> Sands. Yeah. There's some absolutely nuts, just like all around good stuff cards in this set. It's going to be wild to see how this impacts the metagame. And maybe that, you know, I hate to say it. Maybe they're really weak nerfs to uh, to Thresh Nasus. That maybe that's because they're about to get wrecked by all these new cards yeah, maybe. yeah i don't know i would love to see how these decks were performing against the top tier you know s tier list that we just saw in all the tournaments and everything yeah kind of behind the scenes um yeah. so i really herself is a three mana three two um with quick attack which we've seen a lot of three mana with quick three mana three twos with quick attack very we know that that's not bad when i am summoned or round start um if you have an attack token uh, create a flawless duet in hand. Flawless duet is a one mana slow fleeting spell that is blade dance two. Um, very strong. Uh, once mm -hmm. I've seen 12 plus allies have attacked, which actually does not seem very difficult for I really a blade dance deck. Seems like that would happen pretty easily. When yep. I'm summoned round start uh, or round start, if you have an attack token, create a flawless duet in hand. And then when allies attack, when allies attack, keep in mind. So that means your blade, your flawless duet, your flawless duet, however many times you attack in a turn with blade dance, you're going to generate a blade surge, which is a zero mana burst fleeting spell swap irelia with an ally and you get mm -hmm. this automatically if you find a way to let's say the beginning of turn play something 
automatically blade dances. You automatically put blade surge in your hand. Now you have a perfect Irelia protection card in hand. You couple that with lead and follow, which is a two-mana recall an ally to create a flawless duet in hand. So recall an ally to protect it and grab a one-mana fleeting slow blade dance too. And uh, Irelia's uh, Vanguard's Edge, which is a seven-mana slow spell, which might be the worst out of the set, which is blade dance three, pick an ally to attack with the blades. And of course, if this you have an Aurelia on board, this is going to create an Aurelia in hand as, or in your deck as well. So, uh, Blade Dance three, pick an ally to attack with mm -hmm. your blades. I, like I think Aurelia has, she has built-in protection. She has easy, well, easy level up, super strong yeah. stats. I think she's just so good. This the package in and of itself is just so powerful. It's so like obviously aggressive. Like there's no disguising that it's an aggro strategy. And so that means it'll slot with so many other things pretty instantly and seamlessly. It's all about summoning uh allies. Well there's plenty of other things that want to summon allies. You know, it's so, like it just slots into so many other things so 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 easily. I want to say about the blade surge the the thing that I noticed is that blade surge absolutely forced opponents to block every single fragment. Because mm. if they don't block a fragment, you can swap your Aurelia in with the fragment fragment that's unblocked off of a blade dance. You swap the Aurelia in, oh, she gets an attack in for four to the face. And then next turn, now you still haven't... That's the thing with all these blade dances, you still haven't manually swung. Nope. I've seen people get like five attacks in. Yep. In one turn. It's honestly a little scary. Uh, there are going to be counters to it. I think um, I actually was. I've been. I was thinking about this a lot. I think we're going to see a return of the withering whale. Okay, the withering whale, yeah. whale is going to be back in a big way. I think decks that have access to fast speed uh, whirlwind effects, uh, so blade fury, uh, blade flurry, fury, whatever, flurry, and yeah. noxus, ice shard. Uh, mm -hmm. These are the things that are going to help. They're not going to be perfect though no. right because if you if you blade flurry if you spend two mana to blade flurry against a blade dance and then they just blade dance again now your blade flurry is gone they're still advancing azir they're still advancing aurelia they're still advancing mf like you're not getting enough done there i think the way to counter this may be um i, I know it sounds biased but like braum vlad yeah um, that, that that would be a very good way to counter this get a scar grounds down start blocking these things your guys actually get stronger for it mm -hmm. now as soon as these things start getting beefier attacks through azir level or whatever you're going to be in trouble so i think if you're going to run like a vlad brahm with the intention of beating aurelia you need to find a way to uh maybe like pull the backline defenders like the backline characters like azir and aurelia you need to find a way to kill those guys off so that might mean uh calling strikes uh, that which, by the way, I think culling strikes are going to come back in big way. They already were good against Thresh. They already were good against um, Azir, and now with Azir probably getting even stronger with Aurelia. Mm -hmm. Start start packing those culling strikes, guys, because you need to get rid of Azir. Aurelia is a problem as well. She's a little easier to kill with like basic removal or like an avalanche or something like that. But whoo, I'm a little bit worried about this deck. There's so many different ways to play it. Lead and follow is great, obviously, for your ability to conserve units, uh, conserve hand size. 
right? Because you can bounce back something that's about to die, replay it for another blade dance in the future, and you'll get a flawless duet, you know, additionally. So you can immediately bounce something that you would want to save for a future turn. Usually things with summon effects, blade dance, drop the flaws duet, pressure more next turn, or even that turn, play that thing back again. It's crazy. Uh, holy crap. Ioni is back. I mean, honestly, like, I'm even looking at this because where I'm going to play this is MF because you could level MF in one turn without a problem. Conceivably. Conceivably, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, if you play, uh, if you if you have MF on board, you play Ribbon Dancer, you get an attack. You play Lead mm -hmm. and Follow, return Ribbon Dancer to your hand, get Flawless Duet, play Flawless Duet, get an attack. Um, and then you play your Ribbon Dancer back down, which you just return to your hand, which, by the way, that only has costed you five mana this round. Um, you get yep. a Blade Dance, and you get an attack. And then you attack with your actual attack. You've leveled up MF in one turn. And then every single Ribbon Dance from that point on deals three damage to everything on the board in your opponent's face. Yeah. This, uh, I, mean, that's I a think turn that the five. best way... Yeah, I think the best way to counter this is going to be through uh, granting vulnerable to things like big chunky attackers uh, giving vulnerable to the big engine units because that's very much what's going on here. These blade dance things are tough and they're going to chip your health down. But if you can uh, mitigate their card advantage by getting rid of like the field musicians, if you can mitigate their ability to scale the things by getting rid of uh, Azir or MF, um or and if you can mitigate the ways they're able to consistently like repeatedly play it by killing like aurelia that's how you approach winning this game mm. uh so just as i because i was after seeing how impactful with with it uh it, how impactful it was on people's streams i spent the rest of my day at work sitting there thinking how do i beat this and that's my best suggestion that i've come up with play a uh, good amount of whirlwinds, maybe play Scargrounds, or play something that has a lot of ways to easily get uh, vulnerable dealt out to things or Challenger, because you've got to get rid of those problem units. Yeah, They've got a lot of really good engine cards, which means those repeated attacks just get scaled up so much, so much more than just one ones. I mean, with Azir, the snowball is insane. Even even with Bilgewater, like it's so much easier to mm -hmm. get plunder off um yep i was thinking about that too because now you can you're off they're oftentimes not going to want to block your one ones they're going to take the one damage to face well okay then i'm going to get a one mana three three on the board or i am going to uh you know get my butcher down and buff all of my blades for the rest of the game um or monster harpoon <laughs> yeah or yeah or monster harpoon um yeah i mean there are there there's just <laughs> i don't know it just seems kind of nuts to me um, the sheer amount of of things that I really uh, could work really well with. Um, and, I mean, she's definitely going to find a home. There's no doubt about that. Like, mm -hmm. and, and, and the thing is, is that the, she's a kit, right? Like, you can take her along with about two other Ionia cards, right? If you take Ribbon Dancer, um, uh, Blossoming Blade, uh, Syncopation, um, Irelia, right? And then, and then you run Field Musicians, uh, and in the two guys, the two one drops, the one drop and the two drop that get buff, you can then take that package to any other aggressive strategy and say, yeah, here, here's Ionia's best aggressive strategy. It's in your hands. What yeah. do you do against that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We're going to find out, though. <laughs> yeah. There's no um, doubt. 
so I think uh, it's really, that, really strong. That takes us through all the previews. Uh, real fast, I do want to uh, mention the patch notes, uh, mm-hmm. or the the balance adjustments. There's uh, two nerfs. That's it. I think people were a little disappointed with it, but I think this is a big indicator that uh, um, they the by the what they've nerfed. I think a lot of people think that they that the devs don't think it's a problem, but rather are addressing it from a players think it's a problem. So okay, we'll go ahead and and do something about it. Um, I tend to agree. Uh, so uh, NASA's, I just want to read this, their card update. NASA's Thresh has been thriving and consistently surpassing our win rate of 55% and play rate of 15% thresholds for what we'd consider healthy. We're making small changes to the Shadow Isles portion of the deck that have continued to cause meta problems. For now, while Nasus is a clear powerhouse for the deck, we want to leave the power of Sharima intact. I, I agree with this. Uh, we are watchlisting NASA so we can continue to monitor his performance while investigating potential changes to him in the future if he continues to overperform. So, one uh, spell and one follower got nerfed. Atrocity got moved from six mana to seven mana. They said we want to reduce the efficiency and effectiveness in which Atrocity can end games, introducing more risk and counterplay by overall reducing the amount of windows where it can be safely played to end the game. I don't really see how it reduces the amount of windows considering you never really played until that late in the game, but it does stop you from playing double atrocity with a full mana pool. I guess that's a good thing. I, I uh, that, you already I had the right of negation. About, right. Th- I think that's. The yeah. Well, about. I still wish it was slow speed. It would still, it would still win games. Sometimes you just couldn't do it against open swings and then that would be fine, but that's all right. Atrocity six mana to seven mana. Now I cannot uh, legally complain about it on the podcast for two more weeks. Um, <laughs> Blighted Caretaker, three mana, two, one, goes down to a three mana, one, one. This is an interesting one to me and one that I don't really understand how it's going to help that much, but okay. Blighted Caretaker is incredibly powerful due to its synergy with Slay and Fearsome. We want to keep these synergies, but slightly reduce its early game pressure and its ability to create even more slays by moving it to one power. Here's the thing about Blighted Caretaker. It's two, one, is still pretty weak for a three drop. Obviously, it can trade into your two drops that have two defense or your three drops that for some reason have two defense and a really good power. So, Blighted Caretaker can't do that anymore. Well, the thing is, is Blighted Caretaker wasn't a really about its main body, which that's, which stuck around. It was about the two saplings. Most of the time, you throw away the Blighted Caretaker base body for Spirit Leech or Glimpse Beyond or Ravenous Butcher or any of those other things. So, I which don't really get that do. this is... <laughs> Yeah, you can still do. This isn't a super relevant nerf at all. The saplings are the strong part of this card. Um, this well, feels like, is, well... sacrificing stuff, because Blighted Caretaker, oftentimes the thing it sacrifices, you want to sacrifice. So it's... Yeah. Yeah, so... Curse it, Keeper or whatever. Yeah. This seems... there. I don't want to say it's pointless, because there are games where you're like, man, I wish that wasn't a two-attack unit. Sure. But are those games really... like Are, are the margins that improved? With this, I really don't think so. This feels like a this is the blighted caretaker nerf is what what felt bad about the nerfs to me and what made me kind of roll my eyes like, okay, they're just doing this to to say they did it, to say mm-hmm. they nerfed NASA's Thresh, and they're not actually nerfing NASA's Thresh. Here's the thing. I actually think that NASA's and Thresh are a perfectly fine deck in a constructed competitive format. Mm-hmm. I watched the tournaments over this last weekend 
and it actually somewhat underperformed. The reason being everyone prepped for it. Okay, it's the it's one of the boogeymen of the format. Um, everyone prepped for it. Um, and then everybody was playing like counters to it uh, or was utilizing the fact that the strength of the deck is that there's so many tech cards that are very powerful and very strong uh, that you could put in there. But with open deck lists, you know which ones are in there. Are they playing Vengeances? Okay, oh, they've got one copy of Vengeance. All right, better play around Vengeance. Are they playing Black Spears? If so, how many? I mean, they're probably playing all three copies section of them, thinking about that. Are they playing Withering Whales? That's another big one. Like, some mm -hmm. decks do. Some decks don't. Like, those... Having that knowledge is massively important because there's a limited amount of deck space and their creature package is largely set in stone. So sure. knowing what tech spells they have and how many atrocities they have, that all dictates how you play against what is otherwise a all-around very powerful at all stages of the game deck. It is a terrible deck for the latter experience, but it's not a bad deck for competitive play. And I think if anything, this kind of, I look at this and I say, maybe the people in charge of this, of the balance, look at it and they say, it's got a 55% win rate, a 15% plus play rate. That's bad, I guess. But when I watch it in tournaments, it doesn't, it doesn't overperform. Like, I think that there's a disconnect and I think it should be noted that that disconnect, in my opinion, is the open closed deck list dichotomy. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Thrust Nashus, probably still really great on ladder, a little bit worse and constructed. We will see how it does against Aurelia. Yeah. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, actually, maybe not most important, but like most interesting to me was actually a buff to Teemo. Yep. Pretty good buff to Teemo at that. A pretty darn good buff to Teemo, especially with Lysandra around. Mm -hmm. Mushrooms will now do aggregated damage all at once when drawn together, rather than taking damage, uh, taking one damage X times, with X equals to the number of mushrooms drawn at once. Uh, this is, there are certain situations where the number of times that you could deal damage uh, could trigger certain things. And, you know, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, probably with Swain, that's probably a mm -hmm. nerf to the Swain pairing, but it's definitely uh, a buff to Teemo as a whole, which basically got completely pushed out of the competitive scene with Lysandra existing. Because yes. if the if the Nexus is tough, tough, you get to do nothing. Yep. So that's probably because you, know, you know before before the Watcher was coming up. Um, Sejuani Timo was actually creeping into like competitive play, especially in tournaments, and people were actually performing pretty well with it as a way to kind of like close out games in a mid range style. Um, and kind of and, and with the ability to actually like, if your board gets turned by a control deck, you actually can actually still win by playing defense and just waiting out the game. Like, it was an I don't happen to like Timo at all, but I, I must admit, it's it's sad to see the way that something is coded, at least in this case, completely push out a deck because of one other card in the environment. So like, this is a, a really cool thing. And, and I'm definitely uh, glad to see that, that buff. I know saucy mailman probably feels the same. <laughs> I'm sure he's very excited about it. Indeed. Yeah. 
Um, but that's about everything, right? I think we covered everything. I think I, mean, I, 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 th- I hope so. We covered a holy lot. Holy <laughs> cow! Yeah, I mean, it's almost uh, almost one o'clock in the morning where we're we're, we're recording right now. So um, that's going to do it for this episode. We're not going to have closing thoughts this week, but come back next week for more closing thoughts. Um, you know how to get in contact with us if you would like to reach out to us. Join our Discord server, um, and you can also find information about where we are on the internet in the uh, the notes for the show. So feel free to drop down to the show description and pick up that. Other than that, guys, we will see you on the Legends of Runeterra ladder. And certainly, I'm going to be meeting you and greeting you with Irelia. So be ready for it. (laughs) The new poison. The new poison of the month. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate every single one of you. And be sure to come back again next week. Thanks for listening to Legends Cast. This episode was brought to you by listeners like you. Don't forget to join our Discord community and support us by leaving us a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. A special thanks goes out to all of our Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash legendscast.